Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon King. I welcome you on in here on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. The sun has finally parted the clouds out here on the Far East, where we have not seen a sun in many a moon. But I welcome you on in here as the light breaks in, a little bit of light maybe breaks forward for us here as the draft approaches ever, ever so closer. March took forever, but hey, April's kind of picking up, right? And in our upcoming coverage here for this draft, where I'm going to be streaming all three days live, want to be looking at all of these positional groups really closely, want to be looking at really what are going to be likely Seahawk picks, and really the, the, the important reason we're really analyzing this draft as much as any, of course, and looking at it as, as closely as any, of course, is because this is, as I've said, the most monumental draft as any in Seahawks history. Maybe you can find certain years that were more important because of the timing or for a guy to save his job or to keep a to, to keep things driving forward if the organization is trying to move it in a certain direction. But just for my money, for the damage you can do in the good kind of way, this draft is as good as it gets. And so as I look through these players and scout these players and look at the Seahawks situation, something that has stood out to me is the fact that we have not addressed the running back position in free agency this offseason. That's not a surprise. You're not looking to spend big money at the running back position Certainly not after you just drafted a second round pick in Kenneth Walker last year. But I do believe that this does indicate then that the Seahawks are most likely going to be looking at at least one, at least one, but probably even two running backs in this upcoming draft. They have seen both Rashad Penny and Travis Homer leave in free agency. Those spots remain open. There's really not a prospect on the roster that you think is going to fill the shoes at this point. Not to mention Travis Homer, I believe, only has one more year until uh, I believe he's just about to be a free agent himself, if I'm not mistaken. So you are in a position where you're going to want to start to turn this over again and look at this. I think they're going to definitely take one probably early and late is what I'm looking at. Now, maybe not first round, hard to say. They could throw us that curveball, but certainly I don't think third, first round, probably not even second round, maybe third round range. But for the sake of not being certain on that, I want to draw up a list of 12 guys that I look at as the top of this draft, as the, as the creme de la creme in there, in having an electrifying skill set to some degree. There might be some other running backs that are, are more higher valued on your boards or even might be a little bit, I think this guy will be picked above this guy. There's a guy on this list by the name of Deuce Vaughn. There'll be other running backs that I don't mention on this list that are going to be picked ahead of him. It's not to say some of these other running backs out there that don't have some talents that they offer or some pro skill. It's just that for my money, here are the electrifying ones that have something certain to them that they could offer, something a little extra in what they could offer uh, that the, not, the Seahawks not only you know need, but would make the team more dynamic offensively. Um, so let's go through the list here. We're going to go got, uh, one by one here a bit through this list. And I know that this guy is a guy right off the top that's not likely to be drafted by our Seahawks because he's going to probably go early. But there is still some, un yeah, it seems like there's some question here as to where exactly he does seem to go. Um, you hear maybe he'll go potentially top 10, but you hear maybe he'll even dripped into the, the 20s-ish range to where the Cowboys are at. I'm sure they would love to be able to pick him up in, in the 26 range if he would fall that far. Doesn't feel like he'll far, fall that far, but there is certainly a chance that he could be there in the 20s. And what I'm going to be posting for both of these running backs, if you're watching and not just listening in here, is I've got his PFF grades here over my left side from this last college year and how he performed in that manner. And then you've got his rushing stats here over my right shoulder. This is to give you a little bit of a snapshot 
of what he was as a player kind of overall in both the grade and in the production. I would love to show you guys some film, of course, but I've got to be very careful in how I, I do that stuff, especially when I'm doing it in long form like this on an hour long production or hours long production. That's where YouTube doesn't kind of let you get away with that. This kid's a very complete running back. The grade certainly indicates that as you see that over my shoulder here, he can do it all. He is a guy that can catch the ball, run the ball. He can get yards when there are no yards, and if you or or he can get yards when there are no holes. And when there are holes, he's going to potentially bust it out and break one. He has everything you want in a big money back. And I tell you, when I saw his testing scores coming out of the combine, 5'11", 215, 446, 152, 10 yard split, 37 inch vertical leap, 124 inch broad jump. Those were all numbers that were really upper level and good, yes. But also, when you watch the tape of him, just pure tape, I kept seeing shades of LaDainian Tomlinson. The, and, and every running back, it, it's like a guitar player. Every running back's got their own kind of style and the way that they go about what they do. And when you see another guitar player that comes along who's going to do a Stevie Ray Vaughan style or try to replicate Hendricks. You know, or to go maybe like a smoother Pink Floyd, Gilmore, slow, or Eric Clapton, pure slow hand. Like you got so all these different, but when you see one that can copy kind of another of that and seeing such a startling copy of the other, that to me is Bijan Robinson. He is to me, LaDainian Tomlinson reborn and pure. I will say, I'm going to give you some comps on a lot of these players and you're going to find me on these comps having to kind of, he's this, but you got to pull this away and then you could kind of add a little of that. This is a guy to me that just purely looks like LaDainian, who is both a threat as a runner and out of the backfield. He keeps his feet. He can bounce off tackles. He's elusive. He's fast. His testing numbers, if you go look up LaDainian Tomlinson's testing numbers and just put him as overlays, I think you'll be as startled as I was at how closely these guys also tested. And LaDainian also at the time being a top five running back back in the day when running backs truly mattered. I don't think that this is likely one we go for, but absolutely outstanding production. You might not like the value of taking a running back early if they take one here with him. You might not like the fact they're taking a running back early once again after doing it with Walker and already having Walker in place. But you cannot deny this kid is one of the best prospects in this draft, uh, beat for beat, pound for pound, no doubt about it. So Bijan Robinson is number one on my list. I would, I, I'm not going to cry if we get that guy. Five would be tremendously too high. And yes, I probably would not want to say ideally you go at him at 20 either. But if there was some way they end up do landing him somehow or another, who knows? Um, he is, uh, he is a phenomenal talent. And again, just going back to it, I, I went and looked on this. I, w I was looking at who's the was the last best running back prospect that was better than Bijan Robinson because I do believe that he is surpassing Saquon Barkley in my view of, of his out, my outlook of him going forward into the pro level. And I kept kind of going down the list and I kept going down through the years. I went past Todd Gurley and I was like, well, Todd Gurley maybe, but then I went, nah, but Todd had the torn ACL in college. He already had some of that bone on bone knee worry issues going on there. And this kid doesn't have that cleaner prospect. I kept going down. I think you can just about go all the way back to Adrian Peterson, who would have been even a better prospect than this kid. Cause that, that guy was just, like built in a lab kind of running back. But this kid, I think you have to go back that far to find as talented a player um, in recent history. And that just tells you, I think, how good this guy really could be. Uh, next guy up on my list is going to be Zach Charbonnet. He's played a, a good amount of college football, of course. 
had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons here with UCLA. Another guy like Bijan that we see in here and a guy that is gives you both the skill set. He can be a runner and he can be a pass catcher. I think Bijan can give you a little bit more in the slot, though you can tell from his slot count last year, he only had 12 snaps out of the slot there with Texas. It's just to me as much they didn't choose to utilize him that way because they didn't have to. But I think you could do a little bit more with him on that than you could here with Charbonnet, who I think is more... You use him out of the backfield in the screen game, or you know, swing him out wide on a in the flat, and he'll you know throw him the ball, flick it over to him. That could be good in that respect of things. But a really strong runner. My comp for him was originally Steve, Steven Jackson because he reminded me a little of him. Um, but he is admittedly about four inches shorter and twenty pounds lighter than Steven Jackson. So Steven Jackson minus four inches. Minus 20 pounds, bam, this is what you get. And whatever that equals out to. A pretty good combine from him, 4 5 3 40, 1 5 4 split. Both him and Bijan with the sub, 1 5 5 um, 10 yard split. They both have that burst you want to see from the running back position with that. And then they give you the explosion. He's got the 37 inch vert, just like Robinson had the 37 inch vert, 122 inch broad jump. That's at least a little bit better than average. And so uh, good good overall in that stand th- stance of things. Um, interesting that he came in a pound lighter than B. John Robinson just because he feels so much more like a, a bigger kind of back out there on the field with UCLA. Um, and there's some shades of him I probably a little bit with, that you get with Nick Chubb too if you're looking for kind of another comp with it. It's very nifty though um, as a running back, um, always moving forward, always driving the pile uh, you know, with Bijan Robinson, he's an elusive guy. This guy's got some elusiveness. He can combo it a little bit, but he can also just put his head down and grind out the yards when they're there. If you're looking for this team right now to maybe be targeting a high running back right now and not wanting to pay necessarily the high price for Bijan Robinson, Zach Charbonnet is a guy that could be the counterpuncher to Kenneth Walker. Now you have a little more of your hammer. You have a little more of your short yardage back. And he's a very talented one at that. He's not just a, a meat grinder back that gets you the three yards in a cloud of dust. He's actually got some, some explosiveness to his game and some potential to be uh, an upper-level running back in this league. I don't see like with Bijan's star level of play here with Charbonnet, but he could be an upper-level running back in the league. And he can be a guy that if there's one yard, he can get you three yards. If there's four yards, he can get you six yards. I think he's kind of more of that back when he goes to the deal, but he still does offer within that some home run hitting potential, um, though he's not a pure you know speed guy. He just has to have ran over a couple of guys on his pathway to the end zone if he goes to take that route with it. But uh, a lot of college played, back-to-back really good years, back-to-back really strongly graded years by uh, UC, by PFF. It was a running back. If you're in the 90s range, if you're in the mid-90s range, like we just saw with Robinson as your grade, you're playing phenomenally. You're playing all world. That's not simply a good, solid score we're, you know, we're t- we've often talked about, you know, 65 average is where you are in the NFL level. So you can see when these guys get into the 90s level, it's legitimate. This, it's the PFF markers are backing up the stat production, which also then backs up the eye test. Not one of these things in itself. I always love to reiterate this because there's some be like, oh, do you put up the PFF end all be all? Like, no, we put it all together. Put, put the eye test, PFF, statistical production at the school. Let's kind of put it all as much as we can kind of put together to, to derive the proper value of the player. And uh, this kid, I think, is going to be a second-round guy. I don't think he gets into the first round. Hard to say in the second round where he goes. He may also be the third running back and not the second running back taken in this draft. But a guy that 
with the skill set he gives, his electrifying skill to me with with Robinson, it's that you you're getting a superstar like talent at the position. With this, you're getting a guy that fits the the conventions of what Carroll has tended to gravitate towards in the running back position, and a guy that provides a necessity to the team. There's only on my list here a couple of these guys that are the kind of the hammer backs. They can get in there and they can really do these short short yardage guys. So um, you might have to get while the getting's good in this draft if you want to pick one of those up. I know I, some of you have talked about ideally waiting till the sixth or seventh round to go for one of those guys. I'm not sure if one of those guys will necessarily be there in the sixth or seventh round. It's possible, but at first view, the talent of this running back class, class which is deep, stands more at the top of the draft than it's sitting as you know all the way necessarily throughout. And you know, there's some good guys in the fifth round, but. These guys are, to me, a, a cut above on the list I'm going through right now. Next guy up on my list is going to be Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. Really fun player to watch. And what stands out about Jameer Gibbs, first and foremost, is acceleration. He is going to go from 0 to 100 as fast as any player that you're going to see out there in this draft. And when I looked at him, I thought he had shades to me of a Chris Johnson now, Chris Johnson went back and looked this up, ran a 4-2-40 back in the day when he was coming out of college, you know, which is absolutely insane for back then. I mean, now it would be insane. It has been super insane even for back then. So Jameer at 4-3-6 to Chris Johnson's 4-2, he's mightily slower a little bit in, in relative terms, but still at 4-3-6, going to be faster than anybody else on the football field. And when you pair it with the 1-5-2 10-yard split that he also posted, that's that also backs up to what you see where you, he gets the ball and he's just whoosh, right past anybody else. You have guys right next to him and he's just running past their grasp guys that look like they have an angle on him even, and he's not doing any moves. He's not doing any shakes. He's just creating with that acceleration, the space to get away from them. And uh, it stands out. It's on tape with him over and over again. You can have him start to the inside on the, on the offensive line with a carry. And then he's just outside in an instant. If he chooses to be out there, and a guy that was mixed all over the place by that Alabama offense. A guy that truly, to me, when you watched him played, um, I know it's kind of covered up here, but um, he played a good amount of snaps, 42 snaps last year out of the slot. So you watch him on tape, there's a lot of him going out there and playing wide and going out there and running receiver-like routes. He is, If there's any running back I've seen in this draft, of the, especially these top guys that runs receiver-like routes, and this is his electrifying kind of skill to me on top of the suddenness, which he has, which is unique really to him, um, absent maybe one other guy in this draft. His ability to run routes out in space gives you a guy that could be a, a slot receiver and, and a guy that it's a little bit almost McCaffrey-like in watching him. Or when you watch McCaffrey come out of Stanford when they did put him out wide, he being, of course, the son of a former, uh, a former NFL player who used to kill our Seahawks back with Denver, um, Ed McCaffrey that he'd been trained by an NFL wide receiver. So he knew how to innately run those wide receiver routes. And Jameer Gibbs absolutely can do the same thing. So that's what he gives you on tape is a bit of both. A very solid running back. He's only 190 90 pounds. So you have to work him in as a weapon. He's not a guy you you look to go, okay, we got to get 20 carries a game and get him a couple of kids. No, you don't want to wear him down. He's not a 215, 225-pound kind of ideal back from a size standpoint with that. But if you contain a little bit of the number of carries you get in touches with him and mix him around on an offense, this is a little bit what the new modern NFL is to me. It's a little bit less about the bell cow and more about the collection, especially with the 17th game, especially now as we're going to see here with the second Thursday night game. 
things are going to be more testing on the depth side of it to me than it is about necessarily just having these front running guys that is just, you have your one guy and then your backup guy who goes in there and holds on for dear life until the, the front line guy can get back up on the field. But Gibbs gives you a lot of versatility with his game. And uh, I really liked um, how he played. Um, but it's he's a strong runner for how big he is. There's no denying it at you know running right around sub 200 pounds as he is probably his playing weight that he's not breaking tackles. He's not driving anybody forward. He is certainly going to be just the elusive guy trying to run around people. But the speed he runs at, you don't find many running backs in any kind of draft that, that move this kind of way. And I will say, we looked at recent running back classes, by the way, one of the reasons I think that this is going to be driven to being one we take two running backs in has to do with the fact that the recent running back classes have been so bad. And I think John's going to look to strike this year when the iron's hot, when when it's good, when you've got some talent for the first time in a couple of years, where you look over the last couple of years and the number of backs that especially went early, fewer and far between. Some of that's the analytic stuff clipping in, but some of that's also just not the good running back talent that's been out there versus this year, which to me, it's a little bit more uh, legitimate in that respect of things. But uh, Gibbs, I believe, could be potentially the second running back off the board. Some team could end up viewing him as that kind of weapon. I mean, what, Kansas City, for instance, could, could take a look at him. I know they got Pacheco there, but him in tandem with Pacheco, and you move him all around the place and give him a Holmes, this kind of guy just to throw to and let him go run away, run away from people. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he snuck up into the first round of this upcoming draft, but he's going to be taken in the second round right there, probably right around where Charbonnet is, one of the two overtaking the other. Uh, my next guy up on this list is going to be a guy who's been a riser on my board lately, faster and faster. I watched his tape and I put him up kind of higher because I was like, boy, I really like this guy's tape. And then I went back and watched the tape a little bit more. I'm like, no, I really like his tape. And then he went and he had an amazing pro day. And I uh, went, okay, I'm 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 gonna have to I'm gonna have to really think about where I want to place this kid and how high I want to place him. And indeed, I'm I'm there with it. And uh, this is a guy to me that would be um, a bit of an ideal zone running back to me first and foremost. This is Israel Abankanda, and I'm trying to work on that pronunciation, but it's coming along slowly. Let's start with the top. Ideal size. What's ideal size for a running back? About 5'11", 225 would be about what you, if you get a little bit big enough to take the punishment, still small enough to be fast enough to run past everybody but not too light that he can. he's just going to get drugged down by arm tackles. Well, this kid came in at 5'11", 215, so about 10 pounds under, but there's a lot of guys in this draft that we might look at that might be um, a little bit more under that. Now, Devin R. Chain kid is like 180 pounds or something, or even Jameer Gibbs we were talking about a second ago at 190 pounds. So this kid comes in at 215. He ran a, according to reports on some, tan, and this is hand time, this is not the combine, 42740. <laughs> 42740. So that is lightning fast. And again, we don't just look at the PFF scores or the stats that he produced, where he put up 1,400 yards this last season and 20 touchdowns on the ground. We also paired this in with the eye test. And what does it show? One cut runner, decisive as hell. But when he usually picks the hole, it's usually the right hole. And then when he gets downhill, he's getting downhill fast. Just insane burst to this guy. We don't know what the 10-yard split is, but he's got a 128-inch broad jump. So nearly 138, 130 inches. That's very plus-plus for the position. And then a 41-inch vertical leap. These are 90 percentile numbers for the position. And a guy that I think is going to raise up a lot of boards the more people go back and look at his tape out of Pittsburgh because he's got the hole and he's gone. 
all of these runs where he's just going up the field and he's just, because he's so fast, he creates uh, really tough angles and he gets downhill so quickly. He doesn't provide the defenders any time to sort of diagnose the play and read and react. You need to be already kind of going in that direction to go deal with them. And if you're a step slow in that and you're a college defender in that four, six, five, forty range, whew, he's gone. Um, he runs with strength. Um, so you you when he's running through traffic and arm tackles are getting off him, he can kind of run through those arm tackles by almost creating the the the, the power from the explosiveness, you know, uh, more than just being a pure raw strength power guy. He just He's always going fast, always going hard. Um, he's not a dancer. He's going to put his head down. He's going to get what he can get. This is where I think the fitting in with Seattle might work to a degree where he's not necessarily your hammer guy like Charbonnet, but he can do some of that stuff if you need to work him in as more of that short yardage back. Um, but I, I just love the way he played the position and watching him snap in and snap out where he's just pressing the hole. He's pressing that defense every time. And then when he second he feels the defense start to overpress the hole, he can get back to these, got plenty of speed to get to the backside, and then he's going to open it up for a big play. And now he's challenging those safeties to take that right route to get to him. Safeties who might be two, three steps slower than this guy in the open field. And it puts him in quite a predicament. And you put him in this, put him in an offense where any kind of holes are created and he's got something he can work with. Um, he's got a little bit on that tape watching. He's not, I wouldn't go Terrell Davis. That's not my comp. My comp for him is more Lamar Miller. If you want to go back to the day, but there is some a little bit of that 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 Terrell Davis like click go probably doesn't have quite the size of Terrell did back in the day, but it's just that gets through that hole with a with a pretty crazy burst. Um, and he's come on there. You've seen here at Pitt over the last couple of years, really rounded out. Not going to give you much as a receiver. You see that with his grade as you know, fifty one five receiving grade. Didn't see much of him catching the ball and tape either. So you're really getting rawly what he rawly what he gives you as a running back but he gives you quite a bit with that. Next guy up on my list is going to be Kendry Miller. Kendry Miller out of TCU, part of what helped that program really elevate this past year and have a, a really phenomenal year, one of their best in recent history, no doubt about that. And Kendry Miller, we don't have any testing numbers on him. 5'11", about 215 is where we're at approximately. I'm guessing he probably would have been like 5'10", 205 if if we follow a line went because that's his posted numbers i don't think i have his exact numbers with it but he's been rehabbing a, t a torn mcl this off season so we don't have any testing numbers from him uh luckily he is a guy that we've got a lot of good tape on with him uh, so last year almost 1400 yards 6.2 average per carry 17 touchdowns pff liked him quite a bit too with an 85 uh grade on offensively overall an 88.5 um, run grade as well, much like the last guy we were talking about, not necessarily a pass catcher out of the backfield. As a running back, I think he's a less electric Aaron Jones. That's my comp for him. A less electric Aaron Jones. So he doesn't quite have necessarily, I think, the top end speed of Jones, but he's got the same ability Jones has of getting downhill and then coming through the line of scrimmage. And it can be kind of a partially open hole. It could be a body laying over the hole. And he's so good about picking his feet up through traffic, finding his way through traffic, bringing in an occasional spin move, bringing in some occasional creativity in order to get himself loose then from that, but always finding the way to keep his feet and keep his feet while going kind of full speed. Uh, he's got all the moves in the book that you could want from a running back, jukes, dead legs, spins, hesitation, sharp cuts. Um, he's the kind of fun running back that fans are going to enjoy to watch. 
you know that he's got he's got all, every one of the controller buttons and a couple of the uh, the paddle buttons too. In addition, <laughs> paddle move buttons underneath on the other side of it. So excellent balance with this kid. Changes direction on a dime. A lot of a lot of great vision on his tape as well of finding the hole. You know where there's no hole, no hole, hole. Oh, something open here. I'm back out there. I'll go get to it. Um, I really like where he's at. I don't think he's going to be Aaron Jones as a player at the next level, but I do think he'll be maybe just a smidge below that as far as uh, his potential goes. It does suck that we don't have a bit more of his testing numbers here with that MCL, so there's a little bit more of a question with him, but I'm just going to kind of fall back on the uh, on the tape with Kendry and uh, really good production last year for TCU in that season that they had. Next up is I've got another one of my late risers here on the board, a guy that I was very slow to get around on. But I've really come come along quite a bit with him as far as it really enjoyed his tape. And another guy that had some startling similarities to a recent guy that came out in the recent drafts who actually was drafted by our Seahawks. And uh, this is Chase Brown. He's 5'9 and a half, 209 pounds. So just a little brick. 4'4", 340. So almost a 4'4", 440 speed. 1'5", 3", 10-yard split. 40-inch vertical leap. 127 inch broad. So upper level explosion numbers, what you look for in that. And then the one, five, three, 10 yard split. That's right there in line with what we were seeing with Jameer, with Jameer Gibbs and Jameer Gibbs ran that one, five, two, 10 yard split at 190 pounds. Chase Brown did it at the combine at 209 pounds, almost 20 pounds heavier in those quickness scores. So Chase Brown's a guy that you might initially kind of sleep on, but go watch the tape, go flip it on, and tell me that you don't see Kenneth Walker minus 10%. So like 90% of Kenneth Walker is what I see in Chase Brown out there. Not, he's not quite got that extra difference-making level of kind of gear to him that I think Kenneth does indeed have, but he's just below that while still possessing many of those same kind of traits. The instant acceleration, the ability to be patient when he needs to be, for the most part, we saw Kenneth at times be a little bit too patient at times. Um, but the, the patience to wait and find the spot that he needs to go to, the creativity, um, the explosion, anywhere, anytime. He can be through the line, behind the line. The explosion is going to show up. Uh, just really liked him overall as a player, the way he ran and went about his business. And a guy that has a good understanding of what he's doing, doing as a running back at the position. And you look at him statistically here. Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, 500-yard season before that. I mean, he's, he ran for darn near 3,000 yards in his college experience. So he's got a lot of carries and a lot of experience toting the rock. And that shows up. You see a guy very wise in his running ways. I thought that was the, the, the thing that, that really from him stood out. And again, to think that you're getting a guy at Kenneth Walker, 90% of that, well, it's that late second, third round guy is probably where you're going to see him fall in line with. And I know this would be a little bit of doubling up on what we already have with Walker, but Hawks may like that. They like the explosion scores. He doesn't necessarily have quite, I think, the size they normally kind of key into, but they made the exception last year with Walker. So they very well may be willing to make the exception here with Brown for a guy that's very similarly sized. Again, a guy that really, really liked. He's, um, I think, a little bit better than the last two guys. I know his PFF score doesn't reflect this, but a little bit better. Um, in in uh, pass protection, his hands are pretty good. Um, he does really awesome. Le- he does got great wheel routes. He's good in pass protection, a willing blocker. I could see why Seattle might gravitate towards this guy potentially, and um, a fun fun running back on tape to watch. Very very fast. That four four three speed absolutely does show up on the football field. 
Next up, we've got uh, another guy that we don't have any testing numbers, unfortunately, on, but another guy that I do like off of his tape quite a bit. And this would be Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. His listed weight at, uh, they've got him here, I guess, 5'9", 207. That sounds about right. I had 5'10", 205, but we'll split the difference on this one. He is uh, not going to do anything at the combine. He's medical issues, so he's sitting out his pro day as well. So we have none of those testing numbers to go off with him. You can see the PFF likes him, relatively speaking, though they ding him a little bit as far as his pass catching stuff goes. And really, he's a guy that's not going to catch anything out of the backfield outside of screens. He's not like some of these other guys that can almost be suboptimal um, receivers at the position. He's not going to give you that. But what he is going to give you is a, another back, a little bit like Brown was a second ago, who's got a lot of production here at the school, who's who's had a lot of carries, a lot of carries with this guy, right? Almost 500 carries just about, collectively speaking, over his career there at Syracuse. So a very smart runner, a guy knows where he needs to go with the ball. He's a very agile back with really loose hips, built a little bit. He's listed five, I know nine, five, 10, but very kind of built lower to the ground. He's got a running style that reminded me of a Thurman Thomas. Now he doesn't have Thurman Thomas's ability as a pass catcher because Thurman, you could align out as a receiver. He's not that. And he doesn't have Thurman Thomas's power, but he's got really swivelly hips. And so he can be going one direction and go, Hey, I need to go there. And those hips will flip. And then he can go back to that other spot. He's a great bounce back runner, bounce outside runner because of this as well. So he'll start the play inside and then hip swivel to bounce to, to swivel to then allow him to get back to full speed to get bouncing it back outside to try to then end up turning the corner. It'd be nice if we could be able to pair him at this point, say, and, and you've got the four four speed to go on top of that, so he's running away with it, as opposed to maybe being more of a four five kind of guy. But um, his vision really stood out to me. He's gonna find the hole. He's going to make the read and it's all going to happen almost from an instantaneous standpoint where he's not going to take a long time to kind of, where do I need to go? Uh, okay, over there. He's going to make his choice. He's going to get there. And then he's got some still moves in the open field to kind of break tackles and, and have a little bit of wiggle out there to be a real tough guy to, to bring down at that point, which stood out to me. Um, so fun back, another little... Nice thing with him when you watch him that's interesting that helps him on really busting the long runs. One of the better backs I've seen in recent days of almost doing the old school style of running with the high knees when they get into the open field, not full on, you know, over accentuating it, but within the course of their running gait where guys cannot tackle him from behind with those moves they do where they dive at the feet from behind and they might have the angle to do that because he's keeping his feet always up. And so he had a lot of big runs. He was able to really break even with further distance and take a 30-yard run and make it a 60-yard run or a 50-yard run to 70 because of the fact that that last defender coming in there with that miracle tackle, even if he had looked to have an angle, he still was able to kind of keep those feet up while going full speed. So a lot of body control and just little elements that you really like to have niftily within a running back. It's just something that you do gravitate to on some of the skills that Tucker has. Not complete back but a really fun back and a guy that I think is going to be, um, would be a benefit for us if we need to bring in a guy off the bench to get to tote that rock other than uh, Walker, a guy that I think would have more running ability, let's say, than DJ Dallas. Uh, next guy up is another late riser on the board, a guy that some of you put me on to earlier on this guy. And um, I've really liked what I've looked at from him. Um, looked, I've liked a lot of what I've looked, like, looked at from this kid a lot. He hasn't had the opportunities necessarily as some of these other guys. This would be B. John Robinson's backup, Roshan Johnson. And so a guy that doesn't get a lot of carries last year, only 93 attempts because obviously B. John Robinson was handling the rock. 
He is a guy that is startling to me. I know I'm making a couple of comparisons to Seahawks running backs in this draft, but I watch a lot of our running backs. So, you know, you get an eye for this kind of stuff. He's startling to me in how much he looks like Chris Carson on tape. And, and the move Carson could often do where he would have a guy have a clean tackle. The guy would get his head out of it. He would get his shoulder pad into it. And you would see the guy get the shoulder pad with the wrap up right into the hips of Chris Carson. And Carson could kind of do that bounce off move where the guy would eventually slip and fall off of the tackle. So you have a guy that just has him head, heads up, squared up. But because Chris Carson was so powerful and, and so able to kind of just muscle his way out of those tackles, the guys would just fall away and they'd end up on their face on the turf and he'd still end up going forward up the football field. That's what Roshan Johnson does all over his tape. Really good feet, um, good enough burst, four, five, eight, forty which again with, with Carson coming out, that's why there's a little bit of my comp here too because Carson didn't run a fast 40 coming out either. Wasn't like he was just the small school guy or in the, you know, no, no, it wasn't necessarily that. And then Roshan came in with a one five two ten 10 yard split. So he tested, he tested at the same point from a 10 yard split standpoint as Jameer Gibbs. And Jameer Gibbs' bread and butter is the explosiveness, is that quickness. So Johnson to be in that same place at six foot, 220 pounds. He ran the same 10 yard split as Jameer Gibbs, almost 30 pounds heavier. Very, very impressive. And this is a short yardage back when you need him to be, this is a, a meat grinder back. We'll put his head down. Now he doesn't have the full explosiveness of that. Cause he's only a 31 and a half inch vertical leap, 122 inch broad jump below average to average scores back-to-back there. So the explosion isn't purely as much there. But the quickness is. The getting that burst there, and that that burst is as important uh, as anything else to the running back position. So 93 carries, 554 yards, 6 yards a carry last year. But we do see there is the consistency there, don't we? Every year of his career in his four years at Texas averaged over 5 yards a carry. Never maybe at any point in time outside of maybe his first year having more than 100 carries in a given year but seeming to get better from the statistical standpoint as you look at that and you, you pair it back over with the PFF grades through the years on that to my shoulder here, where he does seem to be getting stronger and better overall. And if you look at the numbers, interesting enough here as I go back really quick, we look at Roshan Johnson behind the same Texas offensive line last year. Roshan Johnson on 258 attempts with 1,580 yards, average 6.1 yards per carry. 6.1. And let's go back over here now to Johnson. And Johnson last year on 93 carries, 551, 554 yards, averaged six yards a carry. So there's a 0.1 yard average per carry difference from last season between these two ball carriers on the, on the very same college club. Does this mean they're the same talent? Does this mean they have the same? No, it does not. But it does illustrate the fact he's a quality back. And there's some quality markers here within this to go to that even though he is a backup, let's say, he should be viewed as a little bit more deeper than that. You know, there should be a little bit of a, a different grade uh, attributed to him in that respect. I don't think he's going to be much as a pass catcher, but when we're talking about the fit for our Seahawks and what's needed for our Seahawks here, what we need is a guy that can catch the foot, not catch, but a short yardage kind of back. Can be that guy that's the tough runner, stays behind his pads can lay down some punishment, can wear a defense out, can be the counter punch to Walker, take that load off of Walker's shoulders. So we're not forcing him to do that type of stuff. We have the guy to do that type of stuff when need be. Um, he's got a patented move where he kind of hesita- has a hesitation and sort of loads up 
fought like we saw with Carson two at times. When he was going to get ready to lay it into a guy, you saw him, you know, you're about to get it. He's got that same thing going on to him. He would be a fan favorite running back because Seahawks fans, Seattle fans, we just, I don't know if it's what Marshawn created in us. I don't know what it is, but we just have a real liking for those hard running running backs. Those guys that just refuse to be brought down to the ground. They don't have to be fast necessarily. don't have any, just be willing to fight for your life uh, to be ta- to not be tackled and and we'll love you to death and he would be that kind of guy for the Seahawks team a guy that's rising up the boards again another guy that I think is going to surprise some people about where he's finally drafted versus maybe where he started out in this evaluation process as maybe kind of a fifth roundish kind of guy he's going to go I think now more third round and maybe I, I think about third round is where he probably ends up uh, heading to but uh, fun player on tape Roshan. We go in the opposite direction from Roshan now. We go to the other end of the scale here from the, the six-foot banger to the five-foot-nine nimbly-pimbly cat, you know, to the guy that can um, run around you uh, even when you got a line on him, even with you just an arm's length away from you, he somehow finds a way to get some distance from you. Um, I'm still trying to get the full testing scores here for Tajay, but I had 39-inch vertical leap, 125-inch broad jump, Five foot nine, two hundred and four pounds. So a little bit of a smaller guy, a little smaller, but a very quick, very sudden, with excellent vision. So a guy that's talked a lot about what he does out of the backfield, and certainly what he does out of the backfield is good. The grade reflects that here. But he's also an excellent, excellent running back. He can work in space. Um, he can cr- break tackles from a foot away. He'll break the tackle, and you don't get a hand on him. He's so very elusive. I like the good open field jets. A little bit of what I would have liked to have seen a pairing with the tape would have been those testing scores on where he's at on his 40 exactly. And maybe he's, I just couldn't find that and it's been posted somewhere. But um, you did want to see a little bit more of where he was at on his 40. Is he going to be a guy coming in at 455 at 5'9", 205? Or does he have not just the quickness, but the long speed as well? It looks like it on tape that he does have that. He also does run really well. for He runs with a good amount of power for a smaller back. Um, a guy that would probably give you a little bit closer in realm to what you have already with Kenneth Walker to a degree. Um, I think he's a little more, even better as a, out of the backfield goes. But again, a guy with so much talent uh, and as good an open field tackle breaker as we have in this draft. He's got the Dante Hall joystick-like moves to him um, in, in his open field moves. And you'll take your breath away sometimes in how he can break a tackle where you just did not see him doing that. You know, what, you, how did he see to make that cut? How did he see to cut that back up? You know, give the guy a shake, break back across the field. Um, and some did say that he was the best back at the senior bowl. So I think it's another guy that if you look through the evaluation process really did well there, seemed to be one of the stars out there at the senior bowl. I got to keep an eye on. I don't know if he'd be a hawk target, but if we're looking at third down back, you lost Travis Homer. You're looking for a third round back to a third down back to fill in there. You want a really talented guy to do so. I see this guy as being a guy that could do that and then give you some carries as well. Not just have to be just stifled into being just a third down back, but actually a guy that can kind of operate um, as a conventional back as well. My comp for Ty J Spears would be Devonte Freeman, the Atlanta Falcons running back. Kind of a, a little guy that's real sudden in that way. I think he's very similar to him. Very much echoes of that guy. So didn't have a long career, but Devontae was effective for a good amount of time. And uh, I think this kid could be too. Um, next up, we got Tank Bigsby. Pretty funny. One of those guys that's named, uh, we got two guys in this draft named Tank. 
that are not tanks. <laughs> I, dude, it's one of those like you call the tall guy tiny, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how they get these these names exactly, but um, hey, so be it. Nicknames or nicknames. But uh, Tank Bigsby, six foot two ten out of Auburn. Really nice to see him run a four five six forty um, recently because that was something you worry about on tape with him, where he, he has the long speed there with him. I think there's some burst, but it, does he just slow down in that long period? Am I only looking at a guy that I'm getting? 15-yard gains at the top end of things at the pro level. That's his top out. There is no real big play potential here, but I think even with four, five, six, there's just just enough there to think, okay, he can kind of get away with that. Uh, he did post also the one, five, four, 10-yard split. So this, the quickness was there even if the speed wasn't. So you feel fine with him at that. That's why I like to, in part of what I saw with him from the tape, I, I was better about keeping him here at this spot in the draft and thinking this is right around where he'll go. Uh, 32 and a half inch vertical leap and 119 inch broad jump. So not really necessarily vertical numbers there or not uh, explosive numbers there, a little bit below average on either respective things. And uh, that kind of matches up. He's not an exceptional necessarily athlete. Um, He's not going to be a guy that's going to run away, I think, from a lot of people. But he does have a, a sense of urgency that he runs with. And I've called him on my comp for him as a plodding Dalvin Cook. So I know it might not sound like I'm being really excited with this guy, but he's actually fun to watch. He's a little higher cut than Dalvin was, but he's got that same kind of ability to break open field tackles in a real creative fashion with Dalvin. The legs are always kind of moving, even when he's going side to side. There's always that, those feet are always in constant motion. And that's the same thing with this guy. It's even when he's making lateral cuts and he can make some very sharp, sharp lateral cuts um, and then pair that with really good acceleration, He's doing so by keeping those feet always moving. And another guy that helps to keep himself from getting drugged down by sidearm tackles or glancing blows, you've got to have a good arm on him to bring him down, not because of the power or strength or anything on that, but just because he's always creating those extra couple of yards, bouncing here, bouncing there, going a little bit more sideways, forcing you to really get onto him to make the tackle. Um, some big playability with him, but I think a guy that consistently is going to, with some of his vision as a runner and some of his quickness, could be a guy that could fit well into our kind of zone scheme um, where that could work really well together, I think. You know, the holes created, get there, and then at the second level, make a couple men miss. And again, not going to be a big home run hitter guy, but then could convince, can consistently, if those holes were there, give you uh, that extra 10-yard gain on the 7-yard run with that one little extra cut that he could kind of make. Fun prospect, uh, good hands out of the backfield on him as well. Very creative, creative runner was a, a Tank Bigsby. Uh, next guy up on the list here is going to be Kenny McIntosh, guy that's actually been probably a slider in this draft process just a little bit from where he was thought of to begin things off. Uh, you can see with him as far as the statistical plane goes, 150 carries last year was more carries than he had in the last three years combined. He put up 829 yards with that fantastic Georgia team. 5.5 yards per carry. I didn't put as well. He had uh, did great as a receiver as well. So he posted some fine receiving numbers to go along with that. The PFF score absolutely reflects this, as you can see with the 86.9 grade as a receiver to go with the um, 84.2 grade as a runner. So they, they liked both of what he did in a major way. And we've seen with a lot of these running backs, their grades as receiving in this so far have not been good. So he's a difference maker in this category, in this draft, in that respect. And that he is a guy, much like Gibbs, you can align out wide. He's, he's right there with Gibbs as being a guy that both these two guys are almost sub-receivers if you line them out as, as slot. And that is the way Georgia used them quite a bit. 
He put him out there on that slot, let him operate out up there, let him show his explosiveness because though he's not fast, 4-6-2-40, he is running by nobody. Again, the 1-5-4-10 yard split. If you're below that 1-5-5-10 yard split, you're in a place where you're, you're, you're going to be cooking. You are going to be absolutely in that, that optimal burst place you want with the running backs. You want the seven yards of burst with the running backs. Yes, you would love to have the long speed, but before the long speed, you need that burst, right? Because you're not getting to the long speed if you can't get through the traffic at the front. You might have that long speed, but if it takes you 25 yards to get up to speed, it's not as valuable to me to the guy who in his first 10 steps or within his first three steps is at full speed. And so uh, McIntosh is another guy like that. And that's why he works both inside and as a running back. Um, not great other numbers down the line, 32 and a half inch vertical leap, 113 broad jump. This is why I've got him a little more dipped down versus some, some of his production and his all around unique versatility that he supplies. But nonetheless, the tape on him is really nice. He had a good senior bowl, I believe he went out to and, and played out pretty well there. Um, he does run a little bit upright as a running back. And so I do have a little bit of tiny worries with him on, on getting a little bit more behind his pads, not looking like a running back playing rece- or receiver playing running back, but instead looking like a guy that can play receiver or play running back and will look you know, like he can do some of both. Uh, but a guy, again, like I was saying with, the, with, um, with Tajay Spears, that to me, he's not as dynamic as Spears, maybe doesn't offer as much of the consistent running game, but if you're looking for getting a third down running back kind of specialist guy in around the fourth round range, McIntosh would not necessarily be the worst of options here. Fourth, fifth round range grabbing him. I don't think he'll last quite to the fifth because he can be a true receiver running back like Gibbs. They're in their own kind of class from these other running backs in that respective things. But uh, the versatility would fit to something that we do have as a need on our team and is unique into this draft. Um, good player, gives you a lot. Um, you just can't ever really look to have him as a bell cow, but we're not looking at any of these guys as bell cow. Next guy up that I'm going to give you is going to be my Marshawn Lynch of this draft. Uh, not Marshawn Lynch and that he equals out the same talent level of Marshawn Lynch. Not that he's going to be Marshawn Lynch 2.0. He's beast mode. Minus 20 pounds, quickness, and speed. So he's he's not in the realm of that. But we're talking again about now fourth, fifth round ranges. We're out of the second, we're out of the third, we're out of the first, we're in the fourth round. And many of you guys have called for wanting to see that hammer. Many of you have called for wanting to see the hammer that we take later in the draft into the middle round portion. If you're looking for the ideal, if you're looking for the guy that hits those checks off, all those boxes in that way, Rodriguez is the guy that would fill that mark for you. He wears the number 24. There's no doubt about it that he's been influenced by Marshawn. I think he's even got the visor. But his running style even is like, it's like even, he's, he's even like a, like a kid that's been watching Marshawn that's trying to like emulate his style with the split-legged style too, right? With the kind of the outward legs and the way he's running with the ball. But he's as tough of a runner as you'll find in this draft. He is going to fight. He's going to claw. He's not going to give up. You've got him stacked up with two defenders. He's going to keep his feet driving and pushing it forward. He's not going to give up. Unique. There's not a lot of guys that way in this draft that are that that, that run that soundly, that hard, snap in and snap out. And as I said about Roshan Johnson, few of these guys are in this draft. We really do have this kind of need on this team right now, right? 
Kind of seemed like we didn't really have the answer there last year when we were in short yard situations and that we tried to make Walker the guy to do it, but it really didn't fit to what, you know, he he is or he's he's going to do with that. Um, Rodriguez, 5'11", 217, pretty good, pretty close to those size specifications we were talking about that you look for, 5'11", 225. He ran a 4'5", 240, not super fast, but not not sluggish slow either. Only did a 33-inch vert. Those are the only, only testing numbers I've got on him so far right now. But a guy in the fourth round, if we were to take, I'd feel perfectly fine with. You pair this kid up with Walker and then DJ Dallas in there sprinkled in. I'm going to feel a little bit better about the running back room. And uh, a guy that, look at his production, going back now four years there. First post, 533 yards his first or second year essentially there at Kentucky because he got a cup of coffee in the first year with two carries. Next year, 119 carries, 785 yards. Year after that, he goes up to 1,279. This past year now, his production dipped, it would look like, on the surface at 175 carries with 900 yards. But go look at his PFF grade, and you'll notice, well, wait, the PFF grade, though, has him still up at 90.8, 90.7 as a runner. So what's going on there? Well, he was injured most of the year. That's why the production's not quite there. Certainly, maybe the yard per carry dipped down a little bit, but that whole Kentucky team, as we've often referenced with Will Levis, was not good last year. And that offense consisted of Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez. That was all they had to offer to go at the SEC defenses across the board. And they were not enough. Still average five, and a, you know, five plus yards per carry within that. So good, very good player. Knows what to do with the rock. Um, he's not going to mess, mess around. He's, he's not going to waste time and dance. You know, he's going to get up India, get upfield. He's going to run behind his pads. He's going to deliver a blow. You know, he's going to wear defenses down, get him to make business decisions over the course of the game. Like this guy a lot, and I don't think there's a lot of running backs like this. To me, it's it's almost kind of, you know, Zach Charbonnet, Roshan Johnson, Chris Rodriguez. And I've yet to really find a guy that I'm sold on as being a real viable, another guy that could be that, you know, hammer-like back in this draft. Last guy on my list is just a fun guy. And this guy, again, is a little bit dipped down further than other guys on my draft board that I didn't mention on this list as being electrifying that are just kind of good somewhat decent pro prospects, but I'm enamored, enamored, I tell you, with Deuce Vaughn. Unusual, unusual as they come. This kid is 5'5", 179 pounds out of Kansas State. Did a 35 and a half inch vertical leap, 116 inch broad jump, 17 reps, 27 inch, 27 and three fourths inch arms. So Teensy, tiny, itty-bitty, teeny-weeny arms. 5'5". You say, Brandon, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? Why, why are you bringing this guy up to me? I'm bringing him up to him because at the end of the day, beyond application of metric numbers of size, it is the tape. It's the tape you turn on at the end of the day and you become sold or, or denied by. And 5'5 five, five is tiny. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to dress it up. But, but we always do go back to when we go at size numbers and whatnot, is there a past of a guy who could play the position at that size? And again, understanding we're not talking about this being a first-round pick here or second-round pick or a third-round pick. We're talking about now we're in the mid-range of the draft. I think all of you would agree at that point. We're not really going to get caught up too much on, oh, that's an overreach. You got that guy in the fourth round. Oh, my God, the fourth round? You could have had a superstar in the fourth round and instead you took that guy. No, none of us are saying that, right? No, nobody's going out there. So... With this guy, I think that he's got a little bit of some of that kind of Barry Sanders shiftiness for his being an undersized guy to him. He's not going to be Barry. My, my actual pro comp, pro, player comp for him is 
Darren Sproles. But Darren Sproles had a really good good career at this same kind of size. Vaughn is going to probably be like 20 pounds lighter than Sproles was, maybe maybe 10 to 15 pounds lighter than Sproles was. But as you can see with his production, which is absolutely legitimate, he ran for 1,400 yards in 2021, then even topped it now this last year in 2022 with uh, 1,550 yards, um, 27 touchdowns rushing over the last couple of years. And I know I don't have the, the receiving numbers posted, but you can see with the receiving grade from PFF as well that he's also solid out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He can run those McCaffrey-like routes as a pass catcher, but he is 5'5". He is small, but he's absolutely dynamic. And um, he finds a way to easily break tackles by just, he'll chain moves together, dead leg to a juke, to a spin. And he's right out of the tackle. It's pretty amazing to watch at times. Um, He runs the receiver's routes with the same kind of tempo you look for there. He can even change up a little bit of his route running tempo where sometimes running backs get out there as a receiver and they're just running full speed on their routes. They're not trying to really set anything up. They're just get to the spot, get to the spot, get to the spot. You know, with him, he's got a little bit of a tempo in the way that he does it. Um, But I come back to really, to me with this is a, it's a bit of like the Jameer Gibbs thing. When I look at Deuce Vaughn, get the guy touches, get him in as your third down back. If you want, find a way to get him 10 touches a game over the course of a football game as you mix that in with Kenneth Walker. And I feel like this guy's going to be a plus player for you. I feel like he's going to put up plus statistics for you. He's going to help your offense be more productive, more electric. I feel like that's what he gives you. Um, but a very fun player in Deuce Vaughn to watch on tape. A guy that you got to go to the tape on. you got to get past the 5-5 five, five thing. I know what it is. It's, it's hard, 180 pounds. Ugh, how's that going to work? And yeah, if guys do get their hands on them in, at the pro level, they'll drag them down. But find a way to let them work in space. Let them work out of the backfield a little bit. Challenge some linebackers in the open field to try to stay with him in coverage. I think a smart team could find a way to get some utilization out of him. And I keep coming back to those numbers. Darn near 2,900 yards rushing over the last couple of years. I know it's the Big Ten, and they don't play defense. <laughs> they certainly don't play. They certainly don't stop the run in the Big Ten. But... Those numbers are still legit in a major conference. And I, I say fourth, fifth round, that guy's sitting there right there. That would be a thing you could add that would fill in that spot that Travis Homer has vacated uh, and just a fun, unique player in this draft. That is my list though, folks. Let's see what you guys think about my uh, my list here. And if I maybe missed a guy that you guys thought would be a, uh, a great name to add on here. I know I went really long way around on that one. I wanted to go through these names. I think one of these guys I mentioned is going to be a Seattle Seahawk come draft day. I do not think the team is merely going to wait in the fifth and the sixth round to take a couple of back-end running backs in this draft and go, okay, we're done, good. I'm not, I'm not buying that they're going to go that direction of it. I think that you're probably going to see at least a guy taken in the fourth round, I would say, is a minimum. Um, but mo- most likely even a guy, even up in that third round range, it's possible. But fourth round, I would say at least minimum. And uh, one of these guys I mentioned will be in that fourth round, I think, and, and would be fits, um, not just from a talent standpoint, but also for what this team needs from the running back position in this offense, along with Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker's the bell cow. Kenneth Walker's the guy that's going to get the majority of the carries. But we've watched in recent years our running back room just get absolutely run through as far as just destroyed by injury right and left. Ever since Marshawn left, I've called it the beast mode curse because I can't make any sense of it. Doesn't matter whether your name's 
Thomas Rawls, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Eddie Lacy, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas. Go down the list. And go, go, you want to do something fun? Just go look at DJ Dallas's medical sheet since he's arrived in Seattle. Because there's a site out there where you can look at every NFL player's medical history and the problems they've had since they've entered the league. And you, the guy's been in an infirmary unit. Infirmary. Infir, infirm. The guy's been injured a lot. So he's, he's been beat up and he's hardly played. We've got to get the depth. We've got to make it a still a continued strength because if we let that talent drop off and we start getting back into that broken area of having to sign guys off the streets, we've seen that that, that de- definitely does then impact the level the offense can perform at. We've seen that over a couple times in recent years. It all kind of washes down. Talent at the position does, at the end of the day, matter. And you want to definitely build into something that's happened and occurred over the last about five or six years in that respect of things. Do me a favor, please, folks. If you uh, do like what you're listening to, uh, hit, that, hit that subscribe, hit that like button. You know, do all that good stuff. Do all that funky stuff I appreciate. And uh, thank you to everybody for watching. Hope you guys are all having a great night. I know I'm a little bit behind on my donos, and I'm sorry about that, but I wanted to get through my initial spiel, so you guys know I do my thing with that. All Pro Seahawks, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, do you think there would be a legitimate interest in B. John Robinson if he's there at 20? I do, but I could also be thinking this a little bit further ahead in the way that I'm viewing it versus the way that the front office views it. My, my, my thinking on this is this. The way the Seahawks have viewed the running back position has been one that they've always looked at it being one that they value, right? And, and we're looking at this in Coach Carroll and John Schneider's time here in All Pro Seahawks. Sorry about the length of time it took me to respond, but I, whenever I do my opening spiel, folks, I always, it's going to take me a sec to get to those donos. Um, so we look at them in their history here. You give up two fourth round picks for Marshawn Lynch. You, uh, you put a second round pick on Christian Michael back in the day, even when you had Marshawn Lynch. I think you did, what, a third round pick on Robert, or third or fourth round pick on Robert Turbin, fourth round pick on DJ Dallas, first round pick on uh, on Rashad Penny, second round pick on Kenneth Walker. This hasn't really changed throughout their time here, being that they will be willing to take a running back high. The analytic people say don't do it. There's many of a Seahawk fan contingent out there that say there's no way you should ever do it. You heard from these folks quite quite mightily on the end of the selecting of Kenneth Walker last year. And I'm sure they would be even louder this year if you were to take Bijan at 20. But this isn't about what those folks think or what the analytical folks think. This is about what I think John Schneider and Coach Carroll think and about how they view the running back position. And if they've already in the past, to me, all pro Seahawks, been willing to show that they value the position to making this many picks this high towards that position, I think that there would be something else building in as an extra factor being that they would start to witness and, and recognize the very same thing I am, which is that whether they build up the depth that they're there or not in recent years, whether they just try to go with one guy and get by with the rest, every single year that full running back room gets decimated by injuries. Now you can build that into your plan or you can ignore that, but that is the reality of it. And, and so I feel like you, you, if that's the reality, if that's what they've been dealing with over and over in this respect of things, then let's build into our plan a way to avoid that or a way to, to, to mitigate that as much as possible. You know, you can only carry the four running backs, so we can't go beyond that, but we can at least get the four guys that we feel have had a past history of not bad injury, you know, have, have durability on their side based on everything that we can tell and then try to roll the dice from there, but also get the talent too. Also get the guys that can get it done. So I, I think there would be a legitimate interest on their part, all pro Seahawks. 
um, because I think they're going to recognize those factors and build in with the fact that they um, obviously have have valued the running back position in that way in the past. They've never gone 20 necessarily, right? Penny is the, the highest they've ever drafted. But uh, Robinson is that guy, like I said, that is in that, that rare era of special talent. This isn't merely the best back in the last couple of years coming out. Like I said, this is the most talented running back going back to probably Peterson. So if there's one guy that could drive that pick, I think that could be one. Thank you, though. Appreciate you on that all pro and Sorry again, took me a little bit of time to acknowledge the don't know. Megan, thank you for the $20 donation, Megan. Says, uh, surprised by Ryan Neal going to Tampa Bay and was hoping there was a chance to bring him back. What do you think, B? And did you see him going to Tampa? Well, I really appreciate the $20 donation, first and foremost, Megan, my lady from Dananda. And I hope you're doing well out there tonight. Um, the whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me with the Neil situation, Megan. That's why I'm sort of collecting my thoughts. I'm not sure what to make of it. I've, I've pondered and wondered whether it was some of him coming to the front office and saying, uh, you know, I want an opportunity to go elsewhere and, and have another opportunity somewhere else. But even that's kind of odd to me because he goes to Tampa Bay where Tampa Bay has been playing Antoine Winfield Jr. at strong safety in recent years. So are they bringing him in there to play strong safety and then Antoine plays free safety? Now he goes back to free? Hmm, kind of strange. Kind of strange. And he, it doesn't seem like, we'll see what the final numbers are. I don't know if he's going to make that much more than he would have made here. But I thought that his, he was leaving for opportunity as much as anything else at that point. We'll figure out the full story on this at some point, Megan. It's too much conjecture at this point. But you didn't save that much money by releasing him. I didn't expect he was going to come back at that point because you already had him on a pretty cheap cost anyway, Megan. You know, if he was going to come back, he was going to make probably, what, about a million and a half on a veteran men. So, you know, you're only saving a million dollars by doing that at that point. Not to mention you've kind of spurred the player a little bit by going that route. So I didn't think he was going to come back. But I, I feel like we're going to at some point get a soundbite from Schneider or Carroll saying, you know, he was looking at the depth of the situation on this team. He saw the Julian Love signing. This happened after, of course, the Julian Love signing. So I'm, this is where I'm trying to put two and two together on this, Megan, to say he saw that happen. He went, oh, okay. Unless something goes freakishly wrong this upcoming season, I've got no chance in hell of getting on this football field outside of dime package situations. And we run dime about 6% of the time. So I'm not, I, then I'm going to go into a free agent next year with completely depressed value. That's why I thought that, that he could have gone to front office and said, Let, give me another pathway to get out there and go get my next contract, Megan. But the bottom line on it is it does suck. Brennan, Brennan was pretty beat up on it last night and talking to him. He was pretty angry about it. And I get it. I get it. I was frustrated too with it. It's uh, You don't want to have every move that you make be one where you're gaining uh you know, a step in a forward half after, and then you have to take a step back as soon as you take that move and make that move. You have to cut a Shelby Harris to get a Draymond Jones. You know, you have to cut a Ryan Neal to get a Julian Love. It just it doesn't feel like you're taking those big, huge steps forward in, in matching the San Francisco Niners step for step in what they're doing. You know, it just feels like you're doing kind of moderate little increases a little bit with that, um, in full at least. But we'll see. Long off season still, Megan. So we'll see how this kind of all fully plays out. And I will say this, Neil wasn't likely to be a long-term fixture here. So he was only a one-year deal, but what a, what a nice one for 2.67 million. That's a nice bit of insurance to have uh, for Jamal Adams and him potentially going down again to a major injury. Megan, thank you for another $5 donation. 
So it's been meaning to ask you for a while, B, what makes a player a bust to you? How do you determine this? Uh, I'd love to say that there's a scientific application for it that I've gotten in my mind, Megan, where I've, after years of study, I've, I've added it as seven games started, uh, you know, minimum 50 PFF score, you know, for receivers, they must have uh, 67 catches. I've not done it that way, Megan, and, and maybe I probably should, because maybe it's one that you shouldn't label out as, as being uh, an eyeball situation, you know, um, I would say uh, it's a complicated answer. Um, and thank you again for the donos. But I would say it's a complicated answer because it certainly is going to be arbitrary and it's going to depend by person by person on this. You know, there's not going to be one. My, my definition is certainly not going to match to what others' definition is. Um, I think most of the time, if you, you gather up a bunch of crew of football fans into a room and you bring, up a, you bring up some players' names about whether or not they're busts or not, I think you're going to get fans pretty uniformly agreed on it. So even though there's not that well-defined definition of what a bust is, fans kind of know it when they do see it, Megan, even the most random differentiated fans across the board. So, you know, um, for me personally, what would make a bust is a first, it's got to be a highly drafted player first and foremost. So you're talking about third, even third round onwards, I would say, Megan, in general, you're, you're really at that point hoping you're getting a player, but uh, you can, and you can kind of lightly apply the label to certain guys in those rounds, but you're really, once you get into that, that area of the draft, it's not the same as the area of the draft. And then usually the first and the second round. So first off, you got to kind of be in that place. If you're a player, Megan, um, the other part on the bust is that I think you've got to be a player that comes in and you, you just are not able to be, um, to, to me, uh, a league average starter, even if you're drafted high. Because if I'm picking you high and you should be able to just league average starter should be what you're able to hit. Um, but even if you're just able to play and play consistently. So to give some comparisons on this, trying to kind of think of this. So, you know, like is Jermaine Effetti a bust? I mean, he's technically played a lot of football games. He started a lot of football games for Seattle, but he was never at any point a really good football player. I don't think you can, you can necessarily file him as being a bust, Megan, as just a, just not a good pick, not a good player, but did play a lot of football. So a bust to me is a guy, you know, doesn't, not really able to get on the field, doesn't give you any sort of consistency of play, doesn't give you any sort of consistency of production, um, but it is a bit of the combinations of those factors. I mean, is LJ Collier a bust? I don't really think that he's necessarily a bust. He's like a Fetty. You pick those guys at the end of the first round, we got to put that perspective on the front of this. That's not the same as picking those guys fifth overall. And so it's harder to put that label on them when they've had so many games they've started. They've just not been good players, and those that doesn't make those picks still good. So there's there's a gray area, I think, Megan, between being a bust and that just wasn't a good pick. But to me, like an Eskridge would be more of your bust variety. He lines up in that first or second round, can't get on the football field, not showing any development, not able to consistently give you anything. Um, that's why I say I think the average fan with this, Megan, if we bring up names, we go Jamarcus Muscle, bust, right? Um, I'm trying to go through some names here in my mind, you know, like, uh, there, there's, again, it's the names you'll know when you say them. I'm trying to think of some other names here. I'm not, they're not coming to me, but I wish I could give you a better definition on it, Megan, but it's really, it is a little vague. It is a little gut instinct, but I do offer Megan, even though it's that most of us would agree on those names when we bring them up of, yeah, that's that. And even if it's a slight disagreement, it's really more of a semantical issue than it is disagreement at that point, you know? 
Wish I had a better answer on that one, but I don't. I don't. Uh, Wu Tang, thank you for the five dollar donation, and Megan, thank you for that double dono. You're awesome as always. Appreciate you. Uh, Wu Tang, thank you for the five dollar donation. Says love Roshan if he falls late. Given K9's explosive nimble style, I think a bigger, more torquey downhill runner would be a great complimentary piece. I agree. I agree 100% with that, man. And um, I, I don't think that he's going to fall late, unfortunately, Wu-Tang. I think with the testing numbers that he had and how hard he runs on film and then people understanding that the reason he doesn't have carries is because you have Bijan Robinson, this generational-like talent at the running back position in front of him. That's not his fault or should ding him necessarily in his outlook as a pro. So, you know, I think he is going to be, to me right now, minimum Wu-Tang, fourth round is where that's, that's his ceiling. Um, that's as far as he falls is the fourth round. And most likely you're going to have to go into the third to get Roshan at this point, based on what I'm hearing and what I'm reading online. Would have loved to get him lauded later too, Wu-Tang, but uh, I think you're going to have to pull that trigger a little earlier if you want to, because his, his rep is on the rise. His stock, stock's bumping up, you know? Thank you for the $5 donation. Taker610 says that with a $2 donation says, do you remember Maurice Jones Drew? Absolutely. I remember Maurice Jones Drew. I'm sure many of the Husky fans out there remember that one cold Saturday, drizzling rain, typical fall. And the, uh, the Bruins came to town and uh, Maurice, they called him at the time, MJD, absolutely lit us up. We made that guy look like freaking Barry Sanders that day. Just, I think, what do you run for? Like 250 yards or something on the Huskies at, at home. Um, but a great pro, a really low built to the ground guy, a guy that when we, we look at a couple of these other smaller guys that are in this draft that are the 5'9", five, 5'8", five, right? Even um, Deuce Vaughn at 5'5", five, five, where they're not all, they're not really carrying the weight to them. Whereas Maurice Jones-Drew had that thicker lower half. He kind of had those shorter little legs to him and the the, the taller body to him but he was heavier of weight taker. You know, he was a guy that probably was 215. I'd love to go back and look at where he was at on his pro day, but it had to have been at least 215 to 225 on his pro day. So he actually carried that that weight you actually like to see on those backs, even though he was a guy that was certainly 5'7 five, five, at the time, definitely a smaller guy. But he was a fun back, real nimble guy, real small little legs, real big upper body, real long upper body. <laughs> Like a little, like a, almost like a little video game running back in the way he looked on the field. He killed the Huskies that day. That was brutal to watch, though. It was just carry after carry. He was going for 50. Ski Nation, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate it, Ski. And sorry on these uh, late on these donos, guys. My bad. Uh, sup, first round on two defensive line. Sup, first round on two defensive line. Second round, find a good running back and O-line. That seems like a decent route to me. We don't need a one-dimensional wide receiver that Hi, I agree with you, Ski Nation. I don't look at this draft as much as I think some other Seahawks fans might in, in that the wide receiver position is in such a dire need for us, especially if we're talking about it up at the top of the draft. I, I, I would gravitate away from that as well. Uh, I've long kind of started to suspect on this that we should, we should start to look and expect that of the first three picks in this draft for our Seahawks, if there is no trading back, that we should probably have an expectation level that two of those picks are most likely to be defensive linemen, I think. I know I'm taking a shot in the dark here, and this is you know, me just sort of just trying to play the guessing game a little bit, but I would say that that looks like a high likelihood with where the talent is at this draft, where the need is for the Seahawks. Um, it all kind of aligning up in that fashion. So I agree with you on that one, um, Ski Nation, 100%. 
Um, second round running back, you're going to get a very talented guy if you grab one here. A guy that would pair very nicely to Walker. We ran through 13 potential names there. Those aren't all second round backs, of course. But 13 potential names down the line who would all help this team. All of those running backs, I think, would be, um, all of them, I think, would be better than what you've got from the position the last couple of years as backups. Aside from Penny and Walker, I think they would be better. Thank you, though, Ski. Appreciate you. Joe, Nash, Joe Z, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, great stuff as always, B. I see the draftees are now visiting teams. Are those for workouts or just chalk, top type, chalk talk type of stuff? Every once in a while, teams will bring them in and then try to run them through stuff that's not always been planned. It's more supposed to be chalk top stuff. Bring them into the facility. Get them around your guys that are in the facility. See how they interact a little bit. Get a little bit of a, a, a sort of a taster's choice of what you, you would get from these guys and just their feeling in the building. So it's more for that. But we have heard those reports at times, Joe, where you get the guys coming in for a report and then you hear them doing some private workout for the team and they tear an ACL and you go, why were they having him do a private workout? You know? And, and hopefully we've reached the point, this spot where the agents have told the players, don't do that. Don't do that. Not for the risk of the injury that you have in that situation. And all of those teams don't get it just in. That's what you have the combine for. That's what you have the pro days for. That's where you do your picking and prodding and pulling, you know? So it should be just that. But Joe, in the times in the past, there have been moments they've certainly overstepped their bounds, the NFL, to try to get that data, get that information, man, you know? But yeah. And, and remember too with it, with, with who visits the Hawks, definitely put some certain connections between whoever visits, whoever comes out to Seattle. That's, those are guys that they are truly looking at, truly interested in. Um, we've seen even the last couple of years, they'll come out of the draft with a couple of guys who came out to visit them. Happened last year. So it's important. Very important. Thank you, Joe. Ski Nation with a fiver. Appreciate you as well. Ski for the double donation tonight. He says, uh, never mind. I'm sold on Deuce Vaughn. Pick him at five and our games will look like Tom and Jerry matchup. All these oversized defenders can't match up. <laughs> it's just how it is. It's like if you ever tried to pick up a, a cat that doesn't want to be picked up, that's basically what it is with Deuce Vaughn. Or it's like the, 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 uh, the chicken with Rocky in the movie where he's trying to pick up the chicken. It's like, how can I not get my hands on this thing? We're just... That's Deuce Vaughn. That's my Deuce Vaughn impression. He's the little, he's the chicken in the cage where you just can't get my hand over here. <laughs> just ain't happening. Elusive little sucker, man. Little sucker. When they're 5'5", five, five too, it's, you think about it. You got a guy 6'5", and he's trying to reach down and get this the 5'5 five, five guy. Just, you don't have, you can't get down that low. You can't bend that low. You're used to tackling guys up around your your area of things, not way down here. So it, it affords him a little bit of a benefit. And the thing about Darren Sproles, I always like Ski Nation is he would get in and take the ball and then he would just duck behind his lineman and get small and go, go, go right there behind the lineman where, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And he's just kind of hiding behind the shadow, you know, just kind of not even moving fast, right? Just kind of slow walking it. Where's he at? I don't know. He just disappeared. It's like, it's like you're playing the Statue of Liberty play with a running back. You know, you half expected the, the center to tuck Darren into the back of his jersey as he started to run. Where'd he go? 
I don't know. Why does that guy got a bulge in the back of his jersey? Is that a running back? Yeah. Get him. He's a fun back. He's a fun back, though. Uh, thank you, though, Ski Nation. Appreciate it. Uh, Megan with another donation. Thank you, Megan, for another $5 donation. Appreciate you. Uh, she spent all day trying to work out what is going on with Neil and gave up as it made my head hurt. I've had the same uh, deal here. Um, I've tried to expound about what I think it is, Megan, but it, we're, we're, we're doing that thing that I always, I, I always struggle to get to do is necessarily the, the guessing game blindly. You have a move or maneuver that doesn't make an entire amount of sense to you. That there's got to be some other explanation for it, but you're not really being given all the information as to what really is going on. And you just kind of walk away with it frustrated because there doesn't seem to be an answer that makes a lot of sense. Um, absent this one thing that you're just kind of coming at, like we're coming up with on our own and saying, well, we think maybe he even asked for his release, but it's, who knows? Who, you know, who knows? Uh, and maybe it was just purely rawly, simply. I mean, last night, Megan Brendan was pretty assured that he felt like it was just simply that they're trying to create the cap space and that they don't want to do the, uh, they don't want to do the, the voidable years. They don't want to take base to bonus. They want to stay in the pocket of their expenses. And because of that, they're not going to be willing to pay the piper later. They want to pay the piper right now. But that's worrisome as well on top of it, isn't it, Megan? Because that doesn't just mean that. That doesn't just mean, well, you have the cost of Neil that that costs you then. It's worrisome because it's also in conjunction with all the one and two year deals that you've given out. So you hand out all of these strange deals versus other NFL teams that will be willing to give out three and four year packages. And then you eat up all of your cap space super fast, get yourself over your skis on your cap space. And now you've got to release valuable players that you'd like to really be keeping on the roster to get back under the cap because you ate the cap up so fast because you were unwilling to give out those multi-year deals. That's the part where it starts to make my head hurt even a little bit more, Megan, because it becomes more about, it goes, becomes more beyond the decision of Neil at that point and more about the, the structure and state of the team as far as being able to spend money. And maybe it is just a pure philosophy thing and they're just unwilling to go down that road at all. But I offer, as me and Brendan talked about last night, Megan, that if they're not willing to go down that road and do the base to bonus conversion and put avoidable year in from time to time, you know, if you're not going to do that in a year where you're supposedly going for it, well, how, what advantage are you going to gain extra on top of your foes that they now have on top of you? Because your other foes out there, your other Eagle teams out there, your 49er teams out there, the teams in the NFC you're competing with are willing to push this button. The big red button that's protected by plastic that you got to flip the first side up with and you got to have two keys that you go one, two, three, and you twist the key and then you hit the button. Those teams are hitting that button. And our general manager, manager is kind of going, no, we don't hit that button here. We keep it in the plastic. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to have those teams have that advantage and to think you're going to be able to, to, to get over on them absent having some sort of majestic draft, which is possible is possible, Megan. John Stillwell, thank you for the $20 donation. John, appreciate you, bro. And uh, John, by the way, we got the, got the squeeze thing there, John. So I received your deal in the mail, man. I will check it out when I'm doing some next, my next, um, doing my next draft kind of scouting stuff i'll have it up on the background so i'll pump it in and see what i think on it so thanks for sending it my way man can't, can't wait to check it out uh thank you for the 20 dollars donation too it says hi brandon uh where do you think the hawks have running backs as a priority going into the draft Oof, good question 
Well, my gut, my get Gus, my gut, my get, my get Gus, my get Gus is that they're gonna do something good. Uh, my gut instinct on this, and it's only my gut instinct here, John, is that you don't see them going out there and getting a veteran back. Last year, they spent $5.75 million on Rashad Penny. If I'm not mistaken, the year before that, I think you had Carlos Hyde in here as a, as a, as that veteran option. So they have gone in the past and looked at veteran running backs to bring them in as a hedge for the draft. They haven't done that this year. They've not looked at all into free agency and any of the running backs. And I think that's telling. And I think also the fact, the fact that they don't have any really more money to spend. Then you've got the 10 picks in this draft. Then you have John, a draft that where I think the running back position is, I would say the second or third strongest position in this draft. So that all comes together in my mind. And I go, I put that all together and I go, okay, you're probably taking two running backs in this draft, which would then John be a, a obviously a highly con, it would be a high priority of consideration for them in this draft, but you do have 10 picks. So the rub becomes where do they feel comfortable making those selections? They love with Evan Walker. They feel probably pretty solidly about what they have in DJ Dallas going into a contract year. So how much of a need is it for the third and fourth guy? How much of a need for that guy will be the third guy off the bench and the fourth guy who will be the third down running back guy? If not, DJ Dallas might be that guy because that's certainly in his skill set too. So it's an interesting question, John, and I wish I had more of a certain answer to give you on it, but I will just say that my, I have only really my guess on this one just by the looks of things. And I think they're going to like, they're going to like wanting to take one of the talents at the top of the draft somewhere between probably the second and fourth round and then grab one guy between the fifth, seventh round area. And then you stack up two. You need two. So they're going to have to get two from somewhere. But that would be the way if I was thinking how John's probably trying to play this or roll this, that's how I would see him rolling it. One early, one little later. Not just the two later one, John, which is some people are saying, we'll just get two of them later. I don't think they would do that. Not with the injury history of DJ Dallas, not with the injury history of what you have with that running back room, not with the injury history of what you had from Kenneth Walker last year, who was fighting through a foot injury that supposedly had been dealing with going back to high school. Not You, you need some insurance. So I think they're going to have a lot of priority to it, John. Maybe not first round. Maybe not even second round. But third round onwards, I think the door is wide open for them to maybe make a, a running back selection in this draft. Some very, some interesting, like well, I walked through the top, I wanted to do a show around these running back talents in this draft, not to just show you who were the best of the best in the draft. You know, me and Brendan will be doing a running back breakdown on his channel next week on Tuesday of looking through all of the backs in this draft and going through kind of the, the multitudes. But this was about finding the guys that I thought would be just those unique fits that would just offer something that little bit of different that we don't have or that fits so well into what we do have that are just a little bit, I think, of a, a different you know, difference makers in this draft and what they bring to the position. And they may not bring something that gives you the 20 carry back. That it may be something that they give you the, like Deuce Vaughn, you get 10, 10 touches a day, 10 touches a game. I mean, Jameer Gibbs might be that guy. You're getting only 10 touches a game. But oh my goodness, what a 10 touch you're getting. You're getting the full 10 touches. Appreciate it though, John. Be exciting to see how this goes, but I'm thinking too, man. I'm thinking the double dip. And thank you for the ozone squeeze. Appreciate it, folks. Check out ozone squeeze. The show's sponsored and brought to you by Ozone Squeeze. And their LP, Ozone. Their, and their LP, Squeeze It. Uh, Megan, uh, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, uh, 
so there is a difference between a poor player and a bust then B? I would say so, Megan, yeah. You know with me, I like to get as as much as we can in the separation of our language on these kind of things as, as far as not to just paint the broad brush and put things all into like the one basket to make it simpler, right? We should be spacing these out um, because you start throwing the bus label around too might too you throw it around just too vigorously and, and, and it, it should just shouldn't be applied as much as it is, you know? So um, yeah. And I think it's going to be something probably really rarely used, but absolutely there's a difference in my mind. There is at least. I can't if a guy's gone out there and played four years of football in the NFL. Like even if you haven't played good at any point in time, you've still been out there available. You're trying. You just might not be good enough. And a, and a player that busts shouldn't be busting because they're just not good enough. They should bust because they just can't get it together. Maybe it's the injury can't advance their game. You know, it's like why we put it with Eskridge a little bit here where it's, you know, the injury is a part of it, him. That's so he's got one of the factors, but then the lack of advancement of his game his route running in his hands have not gotten exceptionally better over his time here. And those were big question marks for him coming out of college. So where is the advancement with him, Megan, you know, and if there isn't that advancement, then maybe there you are, you know, with a little bit of a more of the, the bust point on that. It's tough. It's a hard definition. It just isn't, it isn't as easily brought out necessarily. Robert, my brother Pennington. What's up, bro? Love, 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 man. Out to you. As has been a member of the Hawks Nest for 21 long months. Been a member of my household for, are you 40 yet, man? Feels like you're almost 40. Uh, he says, inject this draft analysis straight into my veins. Oh, I'm, I'm putting it, I'm mainlining it. I'm not even waiting for the syringe. I'm 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 gonna use a pinprick needle. Just jam that sucker in there. We're going deep, folks. Draft coverage is gonna be ramping up here over the next couple of weeks. So get ready for a lot of Brandon. Tomorrow I'm gonna be back with Brendan. We're gonna be looking at the, the linebacker and the edge class a little bit more closer. So it's gonna be stacking up here as we go through over the next couple of weeks as far as the draft coverage goes. As I say, not just simply because it's the draft and that's important, but because this is one of the most important drafts in Seahawks history. No doubt about it. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you though, brother. Hope you're doing well out there tonight. And uh, Rob, I gotta get that, get the kid, your kid's thing for the deal done. So I'll do that tonight, man. I keep spacing it out. Uh, Furlack, what's up? Good to see you, John. Paul Bacon, hello. Joe K, yo, 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 yo. Uh, Daron Everest, sure we think about him, but we're content with K9. I love K9, man. Love him. Uh, young Bido game, hell yeah. I like the video, guys. Brandon is that ninja. Yeah, thank you for reminding me of that, Young Bido. Please do hit that like button, folks, if you haven't already. I would really appreciate it. It does help me out. I know it's kind of a small, weird thing I ask, but you do help the channel out considerably. And welcome to all the new folks um, out there as far as the uh, new uh, subscribers go. We've, we've really quickly crossed 20, uh, 11,500. We're, we're rolling here. So we're going to get, I think, up over 12,000 by the time we get up into the draft, which has just been phenomenal off-season growth where in the past it's kind of died out and gone really quiet to do o'dwyer two run running backs in rounds three through seven would be ideal agreed o'dwyer that's my outlook on it as well mine as well and i think that'd be a smart one for your truth no i know i just off my meds just moved to a new place and there and list in the mail have to laugh or i choose to laugh
Brian Myers, the higher Bijan goes, the sooner Gibbs gets picked. Agreed, Brian. Yeah. It's weird how those two are relational like that, but you're right. I think it would be kind of oddly. Like if, if Bijan lasts into the 20s, like Gibbs probably makes it through the first round. It's a good point. But if he's taken in the early teens, good chance to your point that Brian, then Gibbs goes 20s. It's kind of how I see it. G Walker, what's up, man? Good to see you in here. Joker says, let's draft Charbonnet. Nothing wrong with that. Aaron, Kenry, Kenry Miller breaks so many tackles. He does. Such a, a creative runner, and he's got, you know, if you're looking for the craftsman who's got every tool in his kit and how to break a tackle, dead legs, spins, jukes, right? Jump cuts. Kenry, Kenry's got all that in his bag to utilize. He can bring out, he's like, oh, what do I need right now? Uh, okay, we got the dead leg. Got it. <laughs> you know, juke to the spin. Got it. It's pretty impressive. Mason says, I think we should, I think should trading up to secure JSN. He can play the Cooper Cup role in our offense. Ran a sub four or five at his pro day. So he definitely isn't a slug. You could possibly kiss DK double teams. Goodbye. Trading up to just secure JSN. From five, Joe Mason? From five? It's possible. I would signal Mason that they definitely are looking a little bit more to go to three wide receiver sets and do away with the two tight end sets, which is not how they've done recently. But I guess it's possible. Mason would love Kendry Miller at 83 if he lasts, only 20 years old. Very young guy. Mark Hoppercorn, what's up, man? It's good to see you. Says, why are so... why? Why are many uh, want players in spots that we have too many players? I would draft neat before star player like Will Anderson. Why are, why are it, it's worded a little bit weird, Mark, on that one. Why are many, why do many want players in spots that we have so many players? I would draft need before star player like Will Anderson. It's a great question, Mark. Um, and this goes to honestly one of the great debates I think that occurs when it comes around to the draft in all fandoms, not just our fandom, but I think in general across the board. And that is the, the, the reaching for need or the, the reaching for, for value. You're, you're at a spot and you're at a pick, Mark. And you have a big board up there. And on your big board, you got all those players ranked. And you got one guy who's ranked number one or number two on your board. And then the next guy that's down below that that's available to you on your big board is like seven or eight. Or maybe 11 or 12. You know... At what point does the next guy on the secondary point of that board too far down on your values chain versus the guy you have higher up to ignore that in order to then go for that need? And I don't say this is that I've got the answer on this, Mark, of course, but this to me, this is the, the eternal debate at play. Where is that marker lie? You know, and for me, I lean back into Mark feeling like it lies in you leaning into BPA leaning away from need as much as you absolutely positively can do it. You can't always do it, but doing it as much as you can throughout the course of every draft pick that you select. And my backing, of course, on this mark is the fact Schneider's brought this up so many times over the course of just simply this off season. What led to your success last year, John? How come you guys had last year so much better than previous years? What did you do differently, John? How did this happen? And he's pointed to, and he's been very succinct in this, and, and he's gone to it again and again saying, it's that we picked for, for the best player available. 
We didn't pick for need. We just trusted our board. And um, that's, that's where I lean into that a bit with it. So with, when people you know, say that with Will Anderson or even myself with it, Mark, that say it, it's, it's to say I want to lean in and trust my board. And I believe that Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are the two best players in this draft, one and two. And that if one of those two guys or both of those two guys are available and you have the chance to get either of those two guys, those are difference makers. And I will accommodate difference makers. I won't turn difference makers away because I have a guy that's just good enough there that's standing there right now. When I've got a much better guy, I can bring on deck and improve my team because it's about, at the end of the day, improving the team. The other thing to consider with this, Mark, is that you have a Chenna Nuosu on a one-year deal. And then he's due to be a free agent. Daryl Taylor, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be due to, I believe, be a free agent after this next year. So it could be a move that you make as well if you took Anderson, Mark, where you could then make another trade on the other side of this. For instance, right now, we need to still create more cap space as it stands right now. And we don't have a lot of methods to do so, Mark, if we're not going to convert bases to bonus or add in voidable years. One way that you could get that done would be to um, move, let's say, Uchenna Nuoso in his contract this year and then bring in Will Anderson. I understand. No, I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying this is what I want to do. I would. Didn't, I don't want to get in this pickle in the first place with the whole salary cap situation. But it could be a way that they could resolve that. So if you took Anderson, I don't think it doesn't mean Mark. I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that you wouldn't still go and then maybe make a trade with one of these extra edges that you have. Ethan Ronald Jones with the high knees. Camper reports, is this just me or or do I feel like the all the top running backs out of every draft never end up like the top running backs in their draft class in the NF? Uh, do I feel like that all the top running backs out of every draft never end up like the top running backs in the NFL? Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think on that one a little bit. Um, I don't know. Uh, if I look at look at the recent years, Camper, last year, uh, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were your two top running backs in last year's draft. And both of those came out, I think, as still the top two when it was all said and done last year. Um, so I, 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 you know, and then the year before that, if I'm not mistaken, if you have your top 20 rushers last year, the year before that, I think two of your top 20 rushers were the top two running backs selected that prior year as well. So I, I think that there's some data on this where it's actually, you know, in drafting guys high that you, you get your production out of that for kind of the most part. Zeke Elliott drafted high, the Cowboys got their production out of him, um, uh, Fournette was good for a while until he started eating himself kind of to a place where he wasn't as, you know, explosive and fast as he once was. Uh, Gurley was great until his knee fell apart on him. High, highly drafted guy there with that one camper, you know. Um, part of what I think's happened in recent years is it's been camper a little bit like the tight ends where we just haven't seen a crop of talented guys coming through recently. We, we tend to think about in general terms of these drafts of there's always good talent at the position coming in every year. But there's just some years where it's a stinker. And you might have one guy and the rest are just kind of a bunch of guys. And I think we've had that a little bit lately at the running back position in these last few drafts. But I think that there's actually a pretty decent track record of 
You know, at the end of the day, even if you want to point to a guy like Saquon Barkley and go, well, well if Saquon's an example of what you talk about there, Camper, that's still a guy that went on and had a good year this year and is still going on to now be having his uh, having a franchise tag applied to him, you know, for the Giants, that they don't want to let him go to that that great of a degree. So I, I think there's some misses for sure out there, but there's also uh, there's also plenty of plenty of hits on the other side too that go that go very well. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, all very highly drafted guys that all all perform really really well. Dalvin Cook, uh, most of the good rushers are highly drafted dudes. Um. Mason, I definitely think we should add another running back in the draft, but I also really like what I saw from DJ Dallas. Would be perfectly fine if we he was our number two running back going into the season. I'd be fine with him if I thought he would stand upright throughout the whole course of the year, Mason. I just don't trust that Dallas is going to be able to stand up for the whole season. That's my main worry with him. And you look at his injury history, I just he's barely he's never been a full time starter at any point in time, but he's been broken every which way but loose. And it's hard for that to suddenly, as we've seen with a lot of running backs come through here, Mason, it's hard to believe that that suddenly just resolves itself, right? That tends to be the trend going over a couple of year period. It's going to be something that's going to continue to stay consistent, probably moving forward. Uh, Dan Camper says there are always running backs better in the later rounds than the first round, first round picks. Yeah, I, I disagree with this sentiment, Camper, and I understand that it's one that's very commonplace out there. Um, I mean, let's, let's just go here, camper. Let's do this. I'm going to go right up here and I'm, all I'm going to do right now is I'm going to bring up just from this last season. Let's, let's bring up the top running backs we got. So if we look at, uh, from the top 20 running backs last year, Josh Jacobs, number one, first round pick, Derek Henry, number two, second round pick, Nick Chubb, number three, second round pick, Saquon Barkley, top five pick. Um, when Miles Sanders was a second round pick, um, Dalvin Cook was a second round pick. Justin Fields is a quarterback at seven, obviously first round pick. Christian McCaffrey, a former first round pick. Travis Etienne was a first round pick right at the end of the first round. Uh, Aaron Jones was a fifth round pick. So there's one. Uh, there's one example of what you're talking about. Uh, we got Jamal Adam, Jamal uh, Williams last year was a fourth round pick on that list, so we'll add him to it. Then we've got Kenneth Walker, who of course was a um, second round pick. You got Ramonde Stevenson, which is a three. You got Algier, which I think is a, f- a fourth or fifth round guy. Najee Harris, which would have been a first round guy. Tony Pollard in the fourth round, which would be a five. Damian Pierce was a fourth round, which would be a sixth in the top 20. And else over there, Austin Eckler was probably an undrafted. So you've got like about twelve of your top twenty running backs last year were first or second round, first or second round guys there. So if I guess Camper, if I'm if I go okay, what you're saying is the truth with that. that these guys that are later round guys, the guys who are actually better, shouldn't it be like a seventy five percent of my list is proliferated by guys that are later round backs. Um, you know, and there's not. And and I agree that the running back position has been devalued to a point. I do agree that it is a position that is a lot of its basis in production comes from camper, the ability of the guys up front and what they are doing to create those holes. But there's a reason why your Niners, for instance, after going with camper years of Raheem Mozart's, Matt Breida's, Elijah Mitchell's, Trey Sermon later in the third round, right? After going with all these picks, they came around to Carolina last year and they offered three picks, second, third, fourth rounder 
for Christian McCaffrey, a year and a half of Christian McCaffrey services at pretty high cost, not at a discount. You know, and your, your Niners, I think, made that transition a bit, Camper, because they're recognizing this, that they needed to actually town at the position, not just guys that were fast, that were late around guys. And if you are getting a late around guy, Camper, there is a reason you are getting it. You might not be able to break tackles. Might not, you might be getting one skill you're able to bring to bear. And, and Shanahan can get a lot out of those kind of one skill running back things, especially the fast ones and the quick ones. But I, 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 I'm kind of in disagreement from my standpoint of thinking that that's the way to go in the modern era is you just simply pluck later round running backs and get by that, by that method. I, I think that's an approach. It's in a pathway. But I think that the running back position is a position where you need some quality as well. I'm not saying you dump more and more assets into it, but it is one that I think you're good to find difference makers at the position. Jonathan Magana, what's up, Brandon? What's up, 12s? What's up, Jonathan? Hope you're doing well. SB78, do you think Pete Carroll is trying to load up for Super Bowl ring before he retires? Kind of, but not sure on that SP. They haven't exactly like loaded, loaded up. You know what I mean? Like they've kind of loaded up. <laughs> but I mean, whatever they've added on here, you know, whatever they've built on top of, they've pulled away from at the same time. It's Shelby Harris and your, your entire defensive line walk out the door and now you brought in Jaron Reed and Draymond Jones, which maybe is required, but okay. But you know, you're, you're going to lose Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks, but you got Devin Bush and Bobby Wagner. You know, I don't know if it's fully loaded up to me. I, hard for me to apply that kind of word to it. Uh, Jonathan says, uh, what do I think about Keaton uh, Keaton Mitchell from um, East Carolina? He's a fun back. He's 5'8", 184 pounds. So one of these guys like Devin Archain that's really, really fast, but obviously they're really fast within the context of being that they're also not got the 205, 210, 250 pound weight you'd like to see. So, you know, you're, you're, you shed off 15 pounds, you're going to be faster. I'd kind of hope to expect that a little bit at that point. There's no doubt about it that he's very, very fast. 4-3-7-40, 10-yard split, 38-inch vertical leap, and 126 broad jump. So the explosive scores are there. The burst is there. The speed is there as far as what the testing numbers give you. He is an absolute acceleration type back. There's a little bit of the Israel Abakanda to this kid's game, you know. But, of course, with Israel, you got a guy running 4-2-6 at 5-11-2-15. So it's a little bit of a different, different kind of beast. Um, he's always just kind of looking to keep the, the defenders at a reach. And if he can keep the defenders hands off of him and he can allow him to just lean into his speed and lean into his quickness, then he can break big plays and, and he can hit home runs. Um, but if a defender gets their hands on him, he's going to get taken to the ground. Um, he is a bit of a long strider. He's not like a, a Bigsby is in this draft where the feet really get down quickly. And so he can change the direction, change his pace. He's going to be more of that you know, slice and dice kind of runner where he wants to choose a pathway, go and then hit the, hit the gear and get up to full speed and get going. Um, he does a little bit for me too often look for the big play. He just doesn't trust his ability to put his head down and grind out the three yards in a cloud of dust. He, he's, like, he's like, I'm too small to do that. I got to find the big play in here somewhere. So too much dancing, too many plays get killed behind the line of scrimmage with him doing that. I like him a lot, but it's a little bit to me like the Devin Archain thing for me, Jonathan, where they're good backs. They've got some solid skill to them. They're not as creative runners in the open field as some of these other guys. I like a little bit more in this draft. Can't get the dirty three, can't run strong. Little one trick pony in that respect, which has value at the NFL level, but 
they're not the receivers of a Gibbs so that he's not that guy I can line out wide. I'm kind of restricted in where I can put Keaton, I think at the next level or how much I can really use him at the next level. 184 pounds. That's, that's very light at the running back position. Hard to pull that off, but he is explosives fast. Can't deny that, Jonathan. No doubt there. SP says, this man's a beast, true fan, like talking to a fan in the smoking section out by the fence when you could still take some smoke breaks. Oh, the good old game days. Those were the good old game days, man. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. SP says, my son wants Cam in the Ring of Honor, and I agree. I agree with that too, SP. He should be in there. He'll get in there eventually. No doubt about it. Mark, uh, Cadigan says, got to get defensive line and linebacker first before even looking at running back or wide receiver. Agree 100% with DL. And, uh, you know, Mark, if they go defensive line with the two first-round picks, come back with Dayon Henley in the second round, you know, maybe it's center, maybe it's running back in the, in the second at the last second-round pick, but I agree. They could wait into the third, fourth-round area, address some of those other things up the top, trust the board, let the value find. I think if you land yourself at that second round and you've got a player that they love at the running back position – Versus center that they just feel kind of okay about or, or linebacker they just kind of feel okay about at that point. I certainly would like to see them lean towards the value of the running back at that point. But you're right. The, the, the needs are bigger, especially with the news recently, Mark, of uh, Jordan Brooks. The needs are absolutely going to be more towards um, defensive, uh, defensive line and linebacker. Risen, I, would be surprised if they take a, I wouldn't be surprised if they take a running back uh, at the top of day two, at the top of the second day. Probably not first if somehow Bijan was there. I would agree with that, Risen. Yeah. That's where I'm seeing it too. Probably day two. Probably third round-ish range. Spencer says, hey, not related to running backs. Sorry, but have you had a chance to evaluate A.T. Perry yet? Watched him break down his own routes with bootleg football and was blown away. Very cerebral approach to the position. I believe I do have my notes on him. Let me double check. Uh, but I did take a look at him. I don't know if I got my notes written down on him or not. Yeah, we did. Okay, we're good. I'm getting deep into these. I, I just crossed, by the way, folks, to 200 plus prospects on my evaluation. So I'm definitely getting into that deep cross-eyed territory of, dude, who'd I look at? What's this guy? Who is this person? Who are you? Uh, A.T. Perry was a guy that I liked quite a bit. Six, three and a half, really legitimate size, four, four, seven, which, you know, is fast enough. This is a draft, of course, that's filled with a lot of smaller guys that are going to be cats that you're going to put to the inside at the next level, and they're really going to be mostly slot guys, and that's about all they're going to do. Here's a guy that can really do some outside stuff. Uh, 1-5-9, 10-yard split, not tremendously explosive off the line necessarily in that respect of things. 35-inch vertical leap, about average. Did have 133-inch broad jump, which was great. That's definitely 99th percentile type stuff. 33 and one-fourths inch long arms. So I, I liked that he has that as well. He's got the length, the size that we're looking for at the position in a draft where there's a, not a lot of guys that check all of those boxes off. He is a, a true outside receiver, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He's a supercharged first step that gets him off the line of scrimmage and sometimes through the press really fast. Now he slows down a little quickly after that point, but he knows how to pace and space and, and like you're talking about in a cerebral approach, he understands how to kind of smartly take himself through his routes and reading the defender, reading the defender's leverage 
live, you know, step for step on what they're doing and then kind of break off of that leverage. So he's got a really wise feeling for how he runs his route. And then he runs really crispy routes on top of that. Um, in and out of his breaks, it's really hard to tell where he's going, which is ideal for receivers. But it's one of those skills that you see a lot of them have a hard time not showing their hand, showing where they're going to go when they do do that sort of change of direction thing. Um, excellent ball tracking, especially when he needs to readjust to the ball in the air. His hands are good. They're not great. A little too much body catching for my taste. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, and the yak is okay. Solid, not game breaking. It's just solid. He's going to, he's going to do what he does for you as a route runner, catch the ball, get down kind of guys where he's going to do his damage and, and what he does. I kind of see him as a little bit of a lesser Keenan Allen. That's my comp for him, Spencer. A little bit of a Keenan Allen to his game. I don't know if he's quite what Keenan Allen was, but I think they had the same kind of stuff going where Keenan coming out wasn't really, from a testing standpoint, that uh, impressive. It was just that he was he was so good with his... He, good, he was a much better catcher, I think, than Perry with his hands, but both of them are very close to each other on the route running standpoint of things. Yeah. Tobias, what's up, man? Good to see you in the house. Tobias Larson says, yo, Brando, what are the differences between Jalen Carter and players like Jeffrey Simmons, Derek Brown, and Quinnen Williams? Who does he compare to best? Um, my pure comp for him, Tobias, is I would say I'm still a Tez guy with him, where to me it's, if you go back and watch Cortez Kennedy highlights and then you watch Jalen Carter, they don't have the same kind of body style. Tez was a little bit of a, a little thicker in the middle there, but uh, they do play the same way and they win the same way. Um, Jeffrey Simmons is a powerful guy who really wins with his hands and and with his ability to get to the rip move and get himself free to the block when so often those defensive tackles can get kind of stuck on blocks even when they're really sudden and they're really strong. Um, he's the guy that's got a little bit of... Um, he's actually got some really ability to get the hands off of him by hand fighting as much as anything else. <laughs> He's got some good size to him as well. Good size and length that helps him out considerably in that edge. And especially the hand fighting, I think it's the length there with Simmons that, that, that benefits him. Uh, Derek Brown is a pure power guy. Top heavy, big, big barrel chested kind of guy, right? Just just all, all up here chest. Uh, and, and he's power. He's all power. All power 24-7, all day, all the time. So Derek Brown's going to come off the snap and you know exactly what he's going to give you every single snap. So like the old Ndamukong Sue thing, you know what you're getting every single time. But the reason he was a top 10 pick is that he has got a phenomenal amount of power that shows up. So he'll never be a pass rusher. He'll never be a guy that's going to get to the quarterback, but he is a guy that can absolutely dominate in the run game aspect as we unfortunately had to see last year against Carolina when we played them. But and he, and he can walk a back a guy in the pocket so he can create pressure from that standpoint. But he's never going to be the sack guy that Simmons or the other guy you asked about on your list, Quinn and Williams is. Williams is a little more sudden off the snap. He's got still enough size to be a kind of plus size guy, but that has more of the quickness than those other two guys. He can use his hands as well. Really does a good job of winning with leverage because he can pair the quickness off with the leverage to win. If you're looking for the closest between those three guys, Quentin Williams matches the closest to Jalen Carter of those three that you mentioned. Um, he does it very similarly to Jalen. But Jalen's got a little bit of the, you know, I would say J Tobias, he's got, uh, to me, it's like Jalen's got the Jeffrey Simmons hand-fighting ability with Derek Brown's power combined with Quentin Williams' first-step quickness. 
That's really how I'd probably put that as a bottom line, to be honest with you. Uh, Megan Gockroger, thank you for the $2 donation. I do appreciate it. Uh, she says 276 players scouted here. B cross-eyed for sure. Well, you're, you went, you've gone deep as well, Megan. Yeah, it's, it gets to this realm. I remember I'm there last year and I'm not quite to this stage yet. In about two weeks, Megan, you get to a place where you start to just, you, you turn on film and you start to get into a revolting point where you're like, I can't watch any more film. <laughs> You just something snaps eventually with it where you get to about for me it's about right i know it's gonna have about right about 260 260 about right where you're at megan right where i'm gonna be like okay i can't watch anymore i cannot watch any more of this tape there's too many players but uh yeah you get this cross side at this point crossing 200 i'm like if i looked at that yeah i remember that guy okay yeah there was that guy that's why you gotta have those nets megan so you can always go back to their notes because your your memory's not gonna be able to hold all that in thank you for the donation well done uh, Ski Nation, thank you for the $2 donation. This is a friendly reminder to y'all, we take Carter at five. I love it, Ski Nation, man. I would love to see it. And if it happens, man, I'm going to pop a beer on live stream and I'm going to be a very happy, happy camper uh, throughout the whole course of the rest of the draft. So uh, I would love to see it. I the, the kid is a talent. He's unique. I trust my evaluation on him. I don't know about the character or not. We'll find out about that part or not. But I'm uh, I'm good, you know. I'm good if we do. I'll have a big old, big old smile on my face, Ski. So I like your reminder, man. Thank you for that reminder. Appreciate the donation. Uh, Megan with the fiver. Thank you, Megan. Says I'm at a point as I stare at the screen, I don't blink and end up with a migraine. Uh, I get it. I've had a couple of those too, Megan. I'm sure you've had this happen where you'll turn on a prospect and you'll start getting and you'll you'll be through three quarters of a game. You'll be about deep into the third quarter. And you'll realize you've not actually processed anything that you've watched. <laughs> you're just, you're looking at it. Plays have occurred. You've been, your eyes have technically been on the player you're looking at, but you'll go, wait, I didn't actually, I didn't actually let any of this come through my brain. I just stared at it and nothing actually kind of processed on the other side of it. I just sort of am just, it's, it's just, you know, kind of right there. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I feel you on that, Megan. I've had the same kind of long, long eyed look the situation from time to time <laughs> it happens that's that's just that's uh you've, you've got draft tinnitus is what that that's called mark says let's just play carter both sides of the ball give him some running back reps let's do it man nate says wish hawks would move on from adams i've lost confidence in him Diggs keeps pushing saying quit counting homie out Diggs has definitely got his, bu- his buddies back. That's great to see as far as a teammate goes. And Nate, look, I think the release of Ryan Neal certainly signals the fact that they have a lot of confidence that Adams is going to be able to come back healthy. And I think if there was some question about him bouncing back at this point, they would not have done that move. So uh, we'll see, man. Um, it was going to be a lot of money if they were going to cut him to try to make that work this year. It was going to cost a heavy price, a heavy toll, and uh, one that they just didn't want to probably go down that road with uh, this year versus next year where you can actually really truly start to kind of save some money on the other side of the deal if you want to move out from under it. But um, I get it. SP says Thomas Rawls showed how special Marshawn was, for sure. For a while there, it was just Marshawn, you couldn't get him off the field. And it didn't matter how hard you hit him, didn't matter what he took from a pounding standpoint, he was going to get back out there and roll. Yeah, we got spoiled with that one a little bit, for sure.
HP says, Neil was handcuffed by the restriction and draft capital teams had to spend. They just took the handcuffs off for a chance for him to get paid. I'm sure that contract is still there if he wants it back. Uh, Tampa Bay just signed him, HP. So he only got a one-year deal with Tampa Bay. He didn't go out there on the open market and get a big major deal. And maybe he gets three or four million from Tampa Bay, but they didn't have a lot of money to spend at this point. So it's probably a contract that's going to be very similar to, I would imagine, what he was going to make this year. Maybe marginally a little bit more. Jamarcus Muscle. It's David's says, perfect example of someone who's not a bust, but is in no way considered even a net neutral pick is Jadavian Clowney. I mean, he's, he's selected number one overall, so there's certainly with Clowney, uh, you know, there is a higher expectation when you're going to be picked that high. But I mean, the guy's got 43 sacks for his career, eight forced fumbles, three touchdowns. I mean, I wouldn't put Clowney in the same place I'd put like Jermaine Effetti or Jordan Brooks or, you know, he's been an effective player at times on the field for my, for my money on that. Megan with a $5 donation. Thank you, Megan, for all the don't knows. Says, you know what you must do for me if we, if we do take Jalen Carter at five. It's necessary. It's a must at that point, Megan. But the most, important, the most important part is that it's a price that I'm very willing to pay. I will sacrifice Craig to the shrine. I will burn him upon the altar for the adoption of Jalen Carter. Craig must fall, so Carter must rise. <laughs> appreciate the donation megan and i do know indeed ski nation thank you for another five dollar donation ski appreciate you it says draft megan and carter in round one and let them compete for the starting job whoever loses goes to the ravens <laughs> thank you thank you for the five dollar donation megan's gonna get sold on carter yet when she sees that guy lighting up on the field she's gonna say I can't believe I didn't see it before. You were totally right. Marcellus Wiley was right. Marcellus Wallace was right. Brandon at the Hawks Nest was right. This guy is a game changer. Game changer. Gonna be interesting. We're hearing definitely there's uh, that interest there with the Bears and the Eagles. So he's not falling past nine or 10 at this point. Pretty silly too. I thought the, the people turning their getting all up in their arms. Boy, these talking heads just looking for things to talk about in this offseason. They're all here. Oh, he's not going to go out there and fly out and meet it with teams that are picking in the teens or the 20s. <gasps> oh, oh. His agent announced he's only going to meet with teams in the top 10 or planning to trade in the top 10. It's like, well, yeah. And they're like, he needs to repair his reputation. And like, uh, if I know that the Bears or the Eagles are taking to me or 9 or 10, why am I flying out anywhere else? Why would I go anywhere else at that point? I'm getting picked by these gays. They're, they're just to do it for the sake of doing it, to make Tampa Bay feel warm and fuzzy? Yeah, how about no? I, I thought that was such a silly point that was being presented out there. Like, come on, give me a break. Give me a break. But he ain't lasting past nine, I'll tell you that. 
Uh, Randall, thank you for the $20 donation. Appreciate you, Randall. Hope you're having a great night, man. Hope that new baby's doing good too on your side of it. Saw your kid throwing the, uh, on Facebook, throwing the um, Frisbee at the camera. That was pretty, <laughs> he's working on that technique. Uh, he says, hey, bro, looks like a good topic. We do need a running back. Can you give me a quick recap and maybe your top five running backs in a handful you could see us drafting and which round? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for the $20 donation. I really do uh, appreciate it. These would be kind of these backs I mentioned this draft, Randall, that I do think are are giving you something that's a little bit of a difference. All of them have a little bit of a different skill to them, Randall. There's not a lot of guys that sort of are the same kind of back in this draft. Backs are always a little bit unique, but um, this is certainly one. Um, obviously, Bijan Robinson is your first, first round running back. Uh, that's your Ladanian Tomlinson 2.0. There's no doubt about it. Um, he is that guy. I think he's the best prospect at the running back position going back to Adrian Peterson. And uh, if we ended up taking him, I wouldn't say at five overall, but if you did take him at 20 overall, even having Walker here, I wouldn't be mad because I considered him to be that, that special of a talent. I've got three running backs in the second round of this draft currently as it stands. Uh, first of those would be Zach Charbonnet, though I could see Jameer Gibbs going ahead of him, Randall, because Charbonnet is more of your, you know, he can do it all. Um, he's, he's got your Nick Chubb kind of feel to him, right? But then you have in Gibbs, a guy that could be the, the little bit of the slot receiver too. So a team might want to have that as a, they might pick Gibbs over Charbonnet to see him in that role, but all of those guys will go in the second round, those two guys. And then you have Israel Abaconda Randall. He ran a reported four, two, six forty at the pit pro day. His tape is electric. He's absolutely first step lightning. I think he's a second round guy. In addition to that. Um, just a really fun running back on tape, not creative, not inventive, not a guy that's going to waste a lot of time or motion, not, not going to dance back there behind the line of scrimmage. He's going to put his foot in the dirt, 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 dirt. I can't speak tonight for some reason. He's going to put his foot in the dirt and he's going to go. Uh, third round, I've got a collection of guys, third, fourth round, Randall, and any number of these guys I think could certainly be targets for us. Um, but this is the this is the magical spot where I think Seahawks are likely to be selecting in with one of these guys. I, even the second round wouldn't surprise me, but certainly here, third, fourth round, this jumps out to me. Uh, you've got Kendry Miller. Aaron, he's Aaron uh, Jones, a little less electric in the third round out of TCU. Chase Brown, who Randall, my comp for him is Kenneth Walker, minus 10% is Chase Brown, basically. Sean Tucker, uh, he's got kind of the running gate, Randall, you'll remember this. He's got the running gate to me of a Thurman Thomas, but he doesn't have Thurman Thomas's power and he doesn't have Thurman Thomas's pass catching ability. So he's missing a couple of realms. A uh, Roshan Johnson is your Chris Carson hammer in the third round as well. Ty G Spears is your third down specialist. Who's just your, your little can run around everybody super quick, super fast, just create space with his elusiveness essentially, and really good hands out of the backfield. Another really good running back. Um, and then fourth round, I'll give you four quick guys here. Tank Bigsby, kind of a Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook, but a little bit more plotting of a Dalvin Cook type uh, out of Auburn. Kenny McIntosh, a guy like Jameer Gibbs that can play all over the place, but no, doesn't have Gibbs's speed or quickness, but can absolutely play running back and receiver both. So he gives you a little bit of that ubiquitousness as a player that you really do like. Um, and then Chris Rodriguez, who's like Marshawn Lynch without Lynch's quickness, a little bit less power and probably about 20 less pounds. But he runs like Lynch, Kerry Lynch's number, certainly a guy in the fourth round, I think that could be a target. And then the last guy uh, on this Garth would be um, Deuce Vaughn, kid out of Kansas State, who is 5'5", and just to me, Randall reminds me of uh, Darren Sproles. 
To me, he looks just like Darren Sproles coming out of call, you know, in what he did there with uh, with the Chargers. So like his game quite a bit again, the fourth round, fourth, fifth round range. I think any of those guys could really be targets for our Hawks. And Randall, I do expect us to be picking uh, somewhere third, third to fifth round, at least one, and probably coming out of this draft at this point, Randall with two, two running backs. So top five would be Bijan, Charbonnet, Gibbs, Abaconda, and then Kendry Miller as my fifth. Chase Brown is right there with Kendry Miller as my fifth, though. Those guys are like 5A and 5B on my list, Randall. So it's tight. It gets tight in there on that one. But thank you for the $20 donation, bro. Appreciate you. Megan coming in with some other donations here with the $2 says, no damn way, B. Hey, if I sacrifice at the altar, then, then I've, given my, I've given my offering. I've given my burnt offering to you at that point, Megan. You've gotten your burnt Craig offering, and now you need to accept in peace and happiness the Jalen Carter pick. Uh, Megan with another $2 donation says, and you must not choke and mean it to, and you must not choke and mean it to be. <laughs> Are we going to arrive at a point, Megan, where I got to show you all my toes and fingers too, to make sure that they're not crossed? <laughs> Oh, hey, I'll mean it. If it gets you on board with Carter at that point, I'll mean it. But only if we select him. Only that. Uh, Megan, thank you for the five. Again, all the donations, Megan. You're awesome. Another five are here. It says, you have to wear a Jim Zorn jersey for the season for me to consider JC at five, along with the other thing I mentioned. Otherwise, no damn way. Hold on here. Hold on. You're changing the terms of the agreement here, Megan. We had terms, we had terms applied in this situation, and you're now adding to the terms. Don't, don't, don't corporate, don't corporate deal me. Don't corporate big time deal me on this one. You, you're throwing on a, you're throwing on a cherry. I, I'm giving you the Sunday and you're trying to throw some cherries on that Sunday. This was not part of the agreement. This was most definitely not part of the agreement. <laughs> the original terms still apply. You've given a blood of. Brian, uh, a bust is a play. Oh, sorry, Brian. Another off-topic thoughts in Spencer. I'm at a point with this class where if tight end is at least one out of the first four picks, I'm going to be disappointed. Tremendous depth and star potential at that position right now. Uh, agreed. Really great players in this draft, especially early on, Spencer. I, I don't doubt that at all. The only issue with this is, as I mentioned with the Spencers, you got to clear out one of the tight end spots then. So, Disley, Parkinson, fans. Somebody's got to move off of there because you're not going to carry four on the roster. Or I guess if they, how's it? If they carry four on the roster, that'll be the first time they've done it in 12 years. So that's the only other part that has to come down on the other side of that. Oh, my mic's bad. My mic's still there. Oh, good. Okay, it sounds like my mic was tripping out there for a second. Sorry, guys. Sometimes weird stuff happens on the mic. It's hard to... Hopefully, it's okay sounding. Sounds like it works okay. Uh, Jonathan says, great inside favorite stream. Subscribe if you haven't. Thank you, Jonathan. Please do subscribe if you're not already the channel. We're trying to get on the way to 12,000 subscribers here, and we're marching hard to that realm and hopefully get there right around the time of the draft. So thank you for mentioning that. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, if you refresh your page, you're having a hard time with the mic. Sometimes it gets a little weird with that. Thanks for mentioning that, folks, in the chat, by the way. You're good, HP. No worries. May's just trying to May's just reference, and they have YouTube does the thing where they'll ding you on the algo if you have this the the bad nerd words. You know they get all, or else I'd let them just run wild with it. So she's thinking on the algo with it. Yeah, HP. It's not her. It's the YouTube thing. Uh, they should just let us say whatever language you want to say, but. We've got to be good boys and girls out here. Can't say nothing that's too out of line. They're going to get Midas. Shadow Band. Spencer, uh, YouTube is super lame about stuff right now. Not her fault, fellas. Yep. It's a YouTube thing, guys. It's just that YouTube is... If they see stuff like that, they'll bury you in the search stuff. Unfortunately. And it's stupid. Yeah. Megan's doing what she's supposed to be doing out there, folks. So I know it might sound like she's, we got to play by the rules of YouTube, unfortunately, which we don't want to, we'd love to be able to just let her run wild, but they're, they don't like certain phrasing. Certain stuff will get them, will get them caught up. People have some weird stories come out too about getting banned for silly stuff or getting copyright strikes for silly stuff. And you're just like, oh man, that's all that took. HSB says, hey, Brandon, I got uh, a gray cat sitting next to me. Nice. Give her a pet. I don't know where mine went. She's bailed on me tonight. I need my cat. It feels empty here without my cat next to me here right now. I'm going to say that. It's very, very empty. Uh, Megan, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, you bet I'm changing a B. My father worked in insurance for 30 plus years and I come from a long line of car salesmen. Well, you said it so I didn't have to. I was going to say that I, I'm getting that old car salesman energy. Coming for you on that one there, Megan. I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking for stickers on windows. $39.99. Everything must go. Get a little of that vibe there. We need to pull this, we need to pull this deal back to its original place. <laughs> we need to, I know what you're trying to do, but that's not what we're doing. We got our original deal in place. This, the original terms stand. Blood oath was given. David Pugh, thank you for the uh, $10 donation, David. I do appreciate it. Very, very kind of you. The release of Neil adds the possibility of our Hawks taking a safety in the first three rounds. 100% agree. With how much Pete wants to utilize his safeties, maybe they like someone in this draft. Who knows? I think you're on point with this, David. Um, John Schneider, and, and this is part of the benefit, I think, David, of having some of these interviews Schneider's giving this offseason where he's indicating a little bit about where he stands on this stuff where we we get a feel for what he's kind of gravitating towards a little bit in the scouting process, how he views the the combine, you know, what it, what he's liking. And he was speaking to a little bit about the influx of these hyper athletic, bigger safety types who can play, who can play uh, slot corner, you know, you can play a multitude of different positions in that way. Um, and how those are kind of attractive kind of players to look at. 
And we were talking about it, I think, um, in, in the recent stream here about three different rounds I thought that could be opened up with Ryan Neal re- recently, David. On the news that he could be released, you've got Brian Branch in the first round or Sidney Brown in the second round or um, who was my third round? Jamie Robinson in the third round or Jordan Houghton. If you want to even go in the fourth round, David, or a guy that'd be maybe the third round because they just love him so much, Jordan Houghton as a guy that could be in the third round that you then jump on at that point. Um, there's a, any of those rounds, they could look to pick a guy that would fit to what they're looking toward, fitting to picking to what Schneider said that he wants to look for in the position now as he goes forward and would make a lot of sense. But you're 100%, the, the whole point, and thank you for the donation, you're, is, is on point, is the they're absolutely going to look now at safety as a possibility in this draft. And whereas before, if you had Neil on the roster, you're not looking early at all. No way, no how, because then you're going to have that guy sit as basically the fifth safety coming off the bench. That's not happening. Whereas now there's a little bit more of a pathway for him to come out and play if you do draft a guy for the long term. Not to mention it gets you out ahead, David, of the Adams and Quandre Diggs situation as far as if they want some flexibility into the future with those contracts as they stand on the books to be able to get off of them and have an option that they don't have to then go out there and seek that is already on their roster. So a lot of reasons why that makes sense there, David. A lot of reasons why that makes sense there for them to go that route with it. Uh, George... Harmon coming in with a $50 donation. My God, George, thank you so much. That is very kind of you. I salute you, sir, and do appreciate it. Wow, $50 donation. Goodness gracious. Very, very kind of you. He says, for a travel game for the Seahawks to play in Arizona or in Australia. Well, I'll tell you this, George. I'll tell you this. If you're going to have my boys playing out across the seas and you're going to say, we got to play out across the seas, I don't want to play. I, I got to know I got my German contingent out there. I know we got a lot of German Seahawks fans, but I'm telling you, we got a lot of Australians, a lot of 12s out in Australia. And I'm telling you, you get, I, you can't tell me. I, I don't, I don't think if we had an Australian stadium filled with fans watching a football game, you're hearing, you're going to hear some John Denver being saying, you know, I think you're going to get a little, you know what you're going to get. I know this cliche, George. I know this cliche, Megan, but we know what we're going to get in there, right? They ain't going to be singing. They ain't going to be singing about John Denver. It's going to be TNT, Dynamite, TNT. The whole crowd, Australian crowd. That'd be a unique energy out there, I bet. I'd be at the stadium out there in Australia. It'd be a little bit, get, it, get that rugby feeling to it, right? That rugby energy out there. And they play a lot of soccer out in Germany. They just not, they ain't used to that batter, bruise, players picking themselves off the turf broken Australians are they know what's up with that I think it'd be fun to bring it down there in the stadium and have an international game out there I'm for it George if there's a petition if there's a petition mounted for it I'll sign it if there's a vote to be had for it I'll vote for it I I think we'd have we'd have that stadium 80-20 I don't any team any team in the NFL we go to Australia we got that 80-20 80-20 combo I'm telling you, 80-20, we're huge in Australia, huge, but George, thank you for the $50 donation, man, and I think, hey, maybe someday, you know, the NFL is trying to get this thing international, and I don't know what, I don't know what that's going to take, what kind of, you know, how, how they'll make that work exactly, because there's so many moving parts to it, and you got to get players to play abroad, and uh, that's easier said than done. 
But uh, boy, if they could ever get the international game to go and have teams in Australia or to have hell with Australia, be a natural fit because you can start raising some of them young rugby players up to be football players and get leagues built within it. And then that'd be the great long-term thing to be able to be had. Um, But rugby football, they go together. They go together. You have an appreciation for one. You'll have appreciation for the other. They both come from the same place, man, you know. But love it, George. Thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. Very kind of you, bro. Uh, Megan with another $2 donation says, uh, you, you must want me to go then. Oh, no, no, no. I just want you to stick to your word. That's all I want. I mean, if you'll, if you'll move your word on this, Megan, then what else will you move your word on? If you'll, if you'll, if you'll break your word over something concerning Jim Zorn, something so important, then, then what else is not in play at that point? Where is the safe harbor at that point? Where's the spot that I, I can count on to know the truth? Up is down, black is white. Dogs and cats living together. I just don't know. And George, I, if, we're playing in, if we're playing in Germany, George, why not Australia? If they're opening that door, and before it was all just about playing out there in London, the second that you open it up to say, no, we'll play in London, we'll go Mexico City, we'll go Australia, I mean, how is Australia not in the top five of those places that they're wanting to send football and, and to have it played out there, knowing it would be appreciated out there, knowing that the fans would react to it well? It's just as far as a trip at the end of the day, really, at the end, going out to Germany. There's no real difference on it. At least the players would like it there because it would probably be warm when they go. Or is it winter there? It, yeah, it's like, isn't it warm there when we, they'd be going during the season? Because the whole equatorial flip thing. I'm not a climatologist. Mr. Dog, Hawksnest, are you going to live stream during the draft? Folks, I'm going to be live streaming Mr. Dog, I believe. I believe I'll be doing my one, we'll be doing a very rare thing, I think, here on the Hawksnest, which is the draft is due to start on the 27th of this month. That's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday of a draft. I think we're going to be streaming Sunday through Sunday. So I think I'm going to be doing seven straight days of, of draft coverage. Uh, obviously, we have the Sunday night stream on the 23rd. 24th might be just a bonus stream as more draft prep. 25th will be me and Brendan doing our show. 26th is, of course, my Wednesday show. And then the 27th will be the night of the draft. So we are going to go all of the drafts leading up to the draft, the day after the draft. And then I'm going to collapse into a heap and probably not be able to use my voice again for about 45 days after that point. But I'm going to roll. I'm ready to roll. Wicked Garden, Brandon, can you give us some John Schneider discussing drafting Jalen Carter and either Christopher Walken or Marlon Brando Godfather voice? Thanks a lot. Sure, I'll give it a try here. Let's go. We got it. Let me let me get my voice right here. I don't know what to do about Jalen Carter. Hard to understand this kid at all. Pick him, no, maybe he's amazing. Game wrecker, he'll destroy your heart all the time. Every time I look at the tape, he's tearing it up apart like nobody's business. How? I don't know. He's just big and he's strong. I love him, but he likes to race. Man's fast. Got a heavy foot. Pedal, floor, down all the time. Don't know what to do about that. Gonna have to get him a caddy. Driving Mr. Carter. I guess will be the name of that movie. 
I suppose so. Not really happy about it, though, I'll say. But he's a great talent, no doubt, to me. I just don't know if you can draft him now. Maybe. We should. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about this man that I want to draft. He's called Jalen Carter. He's a very good player. But the fans, the fans, they're going to tell me, why are you drafting this player? Why have you done this to us? Why would you put this dangerous man on this football team? And I'd say to them, I must do this because he's a Hall of Fame talent and it is a player too good to refuse. So do not refuse me of this player. Allow me, Seahawks fans, to select him and make him part of this team and part of our family. My brand was not very good. It's not very good. You want to take my Carter? You want to take my Carter? I can't do, I can't do Brando tonight. <laughs> Watkins okay. I'd still take him now or later in the draft. I'm not worried at all about Jalen. Carter. Justin Brandon is going to show his feet on stream. Rex Ryan enters the chat. <laughs> is Rex a foot guy? <laughs> Herbicide, if the Titans trade the cards, the 11th, second round, and third for the cards, third, we could trade Fant and trade our 20 for the cards, 34, 66, and 96. We do that so fast. We could trade Fant and trade our 20 for the cards, 34, 66, 66. I could probably be talked to something like that, Herbicide. I like where your head's at with that. I do. Certainly, I think the Cardinals are chomping at the bit right now, Herbicide, to get out of that pick. I think that they're the ones that, for instance, leaked the Titans' interest, you know, in that pick. They may have been the team that said the Seattle was interested in moving up to their pick. So they're, they're trying to move, I think. They're trying to get up out of there. Joshua says, uh, geez, he must be like 20 minutes behind the chat. Joshua, I'm definitely behind on the chat, and I'm sorry, sometimes I do get very mildly behind the chat. I, I try to, it comes from a respectful part, I promise you, where I just, I'm trying to respond to as much people as I can in the chat. Um, but I know that that doesn't always make it as dynamic on the live stuff, like bit for bit. But I try to catch up. I'm not too far behind. I guess 15 minutes sounds about right. I've been way worse, though. Sometimes I'm back an hour and a half. It gets it gets deep, bro. Uh, herbicide, the cards would end up with two first-rounders and the rest of the Titans picks. We could get Carter in the first round and Darnell, Schmitz, and Benton in the second and still have two third-round picks. Sign me up, man. I'm I'm good with going that route with it, man. You started out with Carter Herbicide, you know, you've won me over. I, I, I almost, anything you do past that point, I'm like, huh? What else do you do? Great. You know, <laughs> but those would be great picks. Those would be great players to add on. And you're right. With those third round picks, you could still do some extra damage in on top of it. So uh, I, I've, I've thought the same thing. I think we aligned in the same place Herbicide, which is you just, we want to get as many swings in the second, third round range as humanly possible. That's where we're looking at here. And I agree with the same thing. The money spot of this draft is oddly not necessarily the first round. The money spot of this draft is the second, third round area. And really specifically just that. Uh, Herbicide, are the Cardinals 3-4 uh, or 4-3? I think that they're going to more of a 4-3 down with the defensive coordinator there, I believe. I think they did some different stuff. The, card, the Eagles fronts, though. Can't remember on that. Justin Gones, Pumpkin, where are you, kitty? Pumpkin? Kitty, 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 kitty. 
New Blacks of the Cardinals pick Carter. I'd be the most excited person laughing out loud. <laughs> Joshua, if Arizona takes Carter and we have to play him twice a year, I will stone. I will be stoned by committing seppuku. <laughs> it would be tough if he comes out there and just wrecks shop. It'd be brutal, Joshua, kind of a couple places he'd go because he'd go to Detroit with how good they're going to start to be and he just cements them you know, into their next run or the Eagles helping to put them over the top. Could be a little bit brutal. Oh, I will atone by committing seppuku. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you're going to get stoned and do seppuku at the same time? Megan Thunderstruck. That's a good one. You can pick any of them, you know? That's way better than... I mean, it was cool watching the whole fans singing Mountain, you know country home, country road, or whatever they were singing of John Denver, but that's not exactly like the football song you want the fans. That definitely a, that's definitely a soccer fan base right there, right? You know, I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade at my German contingents, but I mean, come on, you know? ACDC's way more, way more right. Brian says, still seeing Las Vegas trading up with Arizona to take AR. I could see it. I've long thought Raiders would be targeting in on AR at this point, and that certainly makes a lot of sense. Did Hopkins get moved? I was seeing that he was going to maybe be just released. Anything of power age is right, Mark. Anything. Power age. Anything off power age. That's right. Anything. It all fits. Sam the Great says, can't wait to see the day where the NFL becomes a World Cup in the future. Eventually, this sport's going to sweep the globe. Just it's taking them a little time. They're having to make their peace with the violence of it, but they, they will eventually understand its awesomeness. Herbert says, shoot the thrill. Back in black. How in the hell? Big balls. Shook me all night long. All those are good. Back in black is great. Hell's bells. Love that one too. The opening with the bells. Doom, doom. I open up the ACDC discussion. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It'd be summer here, B. There we go. Warm weather. None of that cold stuff out there in the, out there in Germany. Justin Goins is the Bon Scott guy over Brian Johnson. Bon Scott's got his fair, fair share of folks that are way more on board with him than Brian. I've heard that before. I like them both. They're both good. Megan says, the Hawks does go sell talking to Pete about the upcoming draft. Coach Pete Carroll, we're here with you now down, getting ready here in the Seahawks war room for an upcoming monumental draft whose personification for your team seems to be one born out of potential dynastic beginnings. What say you, Coach Carroll, about many's prognostication that this team is ready with this draft to become the next great team in the NFL? 
we're just trying to do a good job. You know, we're doing what we can do. Um, we're trying to play well, but we just, uh, we're, we're really excited about this draft and we're going to just keep it going, try to do what we can do, push this forward. We're just getting it forward and, and uh, trying to bring it to come together. And uh, we've got a great base together and we're going to try to make it happen. Now, Coach Carroll, you as ever are being humble. But few men, as we are well aware, have ever, in the course of NFL history, been able to pull off the type of shenanigan train you ripped from the Denver Broncos last season. Well, you know, we got a lot. They got a lot. Uh, They have Russell. We've got our picks. Uh, I think both sides worked out. I don't think that's the case. You are being cumbersome, Mr. Carroll. And you are being a little evasive. You took that Bronco team to task like school teachers used to take the children to task with the paddles in the schoolrooms. I don't think it was really like that. Everyone got out of the trade what they need to get out of it. Except the Denver Broncos who only got tears. Right, Mr. Carroll? Okay, Howard, we, what are we doing here? What do you, I don't, no, we, it's, we, I'm not going to talk like that. I can't, they, they did fine. I'm done. Russell probably bounced back this year and be, only if God himself comes down to perform a miracle in person since the dynastic Ecclesiastes period, Mr. Carroll. Okay, Howard. <laughs> New Black says, I missed a lot of the stream, but can't believe his agent said they were only talking to 10 team, top 10 teams. See, I didn't understand as much the, and maybe you can explain it to me on this New Blacks where the, where the worrisome comes into the Jalen Carter's only talking to top 10 teams. If the Chicago Bears have said, Jalen, if you follow us at nine, we're selecting you. If the Eagles have then followed that up and said, Jalen Carter, if you fall to 10, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to select you and be happy to do so. Well, if two teams have already told me that I'm picking in the top 10, why would I go meet with other teams out there that are picking in the teens or the 20s just for the sake of doing a public relations campaign? Which I'm not saying that's what you're saying with this new blacks, but some people seem that that's say that that's why you should do it is because he has to repair his character. So therefore he's going to do these empty trips to these teams that he knows he's not going to go to. I don't think that that's any different than you've seen at other times and other players that know they're going to be picked in the top 10, top five and other times in the past and that they're not going to go meet with teams in the 20s just for the sake of meeting with them. You know, those teams, those players would have canceled those trips to an addition. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just can't get his up in arms. If I was told that, if I was Jalen Carter and somebody said to me, like, I'm being picked nine and 10, I'm not meeting with team 14, 15, 16, 17 for what? It doesn't. It doesn't benefit me in the least. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to take this plane ride. I'm going to go to this team. It's going to pick and prod and pull on me and, and probe my head for questions. All a team that's not going to be picking me at the end of the day. I think it makes a lot of sense why you'd say, nah, I'll just trust in what these two teams to take me. Mark says, damn, damn that Brando isn't, isn't as cringe as I thought it was going to be. I could be, I can be kind of cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky on that one. It's a long way to the top when you want to rock and roll.
Down goes Seattle's pick. Down goes Seattle's pick. George Harmon, Brando, can you do a Pete Carroll voiceover? I have to work on my Pete. He's got kind of the California cool, a lot of you knows in there. But he's, he also, the, the key to doing a good impression or being able to pull off an impression is you need to have something you can grab on him that, that strikes out, that, that, that is just them that you can kind of go back to. It's like as I try to develop my Charles Barkley impression. You know, I always go to Charles Barkley with the word terrible. You always go back to the word with terrible Charles Barkley to pull in the axe, to, to pull in the, kind of get it close. And I'm still not on it with Barkley. I'm working on it. But that's all I'm just in Taylor around now. That's terrible. That's a terrible team. But you got to have those something specific that'll pull you to the rest of their language and you can pull out of it. With Carol, it's too hard because it's not specific enough. You know, it's very, it's very kind of the voice is a little generalized. I got I to gotta try it though, George, because it could probably help me to do some uh, little segments and bits for the channel if I, could, if I could land it. But it's a tough landing when, they're not, when they're not, there's nothing to kind of gravitate towards that is specific, you know? Um, I have to have gum. Somebody mentioned gum in the chat. Yeah, I have to be chewing some gum. That's true. <laughs> Pete's always got the gum going. Or besides Sebastian Janikowski in the first round, that's crazy to me. That's what happens when you have an owner that's making draft picks for you, though, Herbicide. Of course, one of my favorite Al Davis stories I love to tell always about this time of year is the Raiders for every year would have their scouts go out and make their big draft board. And we've all seen the draft boards in the draft war rooms where they're all aligned specifically, pertinently, exactly, pinpoint, precise. This player above this player, this player below that player, this player this round, that player in that round. They get it perfect for months, months of styling between the scouts and the front office members. And then the day of the draft in walks Mr. Al Davis. And what does he do? He walks right up to the board and he starts doing this. All that work with all those scouts, all those front office members, all gone in a flash to the whims of a crazy ass owner. <laughs> Will Valdez, I need the chewing gum to do the carol. I don't know. That's part of probably how I could land it because he does that. I don't know. We're going to do what we can do. We'll see how it goes. Kind of a little bit of that just casual sort of way it goes. Megan says, Cassell's not letting Pete get away with anything, is he? He's not, Megan. I can sense he's combining a false sense of humble pie, holding back that cocky nature we all know resides within that silver fox. What do you, what do you call the old smart guy, wise guy? There's like a term for it, not fox. That's what you call it, stuff, Megan, but the... The clever word for an old... I've, I can't get my terms anymore. Uh, bu -bu 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 -bu. New Black says, what if someone outside of the top 10 wants to trade up to get Carter? Um, I don't think that that's probably likely to happen. I think some of what they're hearing on this New Blacks is they're hearing where the... They're, you know, hearing the rig and roll out there, which is that a team might 
you know, pick him if he falls to them, but somebody at this point with his off season is going to trade up for him at this point, new blacks. And if somebody does trade up for them, is, is somebody going to trade up to four to take Jalen Carter at this point? No. And he's any, he, what they did say in new blacks too, is that if a team wants to trade up in this draft or things thinking about trading up to pick Carter, he'll go visit with them. So it wasn't just top 10 teams. It's that a team that's going to be willing to trade up into the top 10 or consider that he would go out there and meet with them. But even at that stage of things, it's, they're going to move up to eight or seven. And that's that big of a difference for him at that point. And then why is it on him to accommodate them at that point with that? I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I, to me, it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like, a, it's, it's a whatever thing. He knows he's being picked at nine or 10. And so he, he's not going to go out on these 15 trips across the country just for the sake of doing it to be up at another spot or two, which isn't going to really affect his pocketbook that much or get him that much more money. Nagasa, I'm cautious about this year's draft. We all remember what happened after a good 2012 draft in 2013 and 2014. Yeah. Remember with that though, Nagasa, part of what made those drafts tough was the fact that you were picking at the end of the rounds. You're picking the 20s. You're picking at the end of the second round. You're picking at the end of the third round. You know, if I'm not mistaken here, Nagasa, all four of the picks that you're, not all four of the picks, but I guess, you know, your two first round picks are higher than anything that you got in the first round in 2013 and 2014. And your two second round picks are higher than anything you got in 2013 and 2014 in, in addition to that. So it is a worry thing to track, but if you look at just having a little bit of the higher picks and a little bit of a higher probability with higher picks and hitting them right and landing correctly, maybe that door's opened up a little bit wider because of that. Connor says uh, Carter didn't even say, from what I understand, his agent said that he knows the teams in the top 10 want him, so he made that comment. HB uh, says, can we get a Jerry Jones scouting report on B. John Robinson? Most stereotypical Jerry Jones pick. I know what you're saying there now. All right, HB. I don't make stereo, I don't make stereotypical picks, okay? Cowboys don't make stereotypical picks. I, I resent that, okay? Jerry Jones don't make stereotypical picks. Jerry Jones is outside the box thinker. Jerry Jones is a man with a plan. Jerry Jones is the man that brought a dynasty to Dallas. When Tom Landry only had his hat, Jerry Jones was bringing championships. And Tom Larry couldn't even see which way the field was pointed. Jerry Jones was raising Lombardis. Let's not forget that. Let's not get that twisted down. First things, HB. Now you want to know about, you want to know a little something about a Texas running back? Is that what you're asking me about? You asking me a little bit about how good a Texas running back who is who has generational talent? That's what you're asking me? That's what you're proposing to me as a question? Is this any question? I ask you, you go back and look at our recent history of Texas running backs of his nature and his brand and his style. And they are nothing, nothing but true thoroughbreds for the position, I tell you. They are cowboys first off. Whether we draft them or not, they are cowboys. We might not pick them, but they are still going to be cowboys even if they ain't wearing the jersey. They got that star in their helmet one way or another. Okay? That's how that works first off. Now here, quicker than lightning. Fast as a Texas afternoon in late summer. He going to get you one way or another, that boy. He going to get you quickness, fastness, speediness, spinness. He's got it all now. Okay? When Dallas Cowboys look for a running back, we look for B. John Robinson. And I'm going to tell you something, that, that kid here, he's from Texas. He's not yours. 
honestly, really, we shouldn't have a draft right now. He should just be ours. We shouldn't even have to pick him. He's a cowboy. He was born here. He bled here. And mama born here. Daddy born here. Everyone born here. Why are you going to make him go somewhere else? Why are you going to take him from his family when he's a cowboy? What sense that make? What sense that make to take him from America's team? I don't tell you right now you're drafting a player. I say you're taking a player's soul when you take him from our Cowboys right here now. Let Bijan come home. Let Bijan play for the star. Let Bijan have his Hall of Fame career here as Dallas Cowboy. Stop being greedy, America. Stop robbing from America's team. You got your own teams. Don't take America's team. <laughs> That's what I got. That's what I got. <clears throat> Uh, Randall McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it, Randall. He says, if uh, C.J. Stroud was discovered to not be meeting with teams outside the top 10, would we think he has character flaws? No. Great point, Randall. And that's exactly what I was trying to say with that too. If you know where you're being selected in a draft, and you're especially talking about top 10, let's take Jalen Carter out of this. Is there probably a recent history? If we're going to get up in arms about Jalen Carter not meeting with teams outside the top 10, Let's look at the recent history in NFL drafts of top 10 players that knew they were going to be picked in the top 10 prior to those drafts. Did those teams go out there, those players go out there and meet with all 32 NFL teams just for the sake of it? No, they didn't. They're going to meet with the teams that they know are likely to pick them. And if they've got two teams that are telling them, we're taking you if you're here. And there's no reason for a team to tell a young man like that if they're just going to, well, they're really intending to pass him. They're just telling him that. No, they, they, a team tells you that, then they're going to mean to do it. And he will be the pick. Especially with the Bears, where it's absolutely a need. And especially for the Eagles, where it's like a bonus pick for them. Where they can take that risk. They can totally crap that whole pick as far as that goes. They can totally have that pick be a bust. And that team might not even miss a beat. So, 9 and 10 is where he's going. But I don't, I completely get it. Space, what's going on, man? It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. And a great point on your part there, Randall. I, I seriously doubt C.J. Stroud's meeting with uh, Tampa Bay. I, I seriously doubt C.J. Stroud's meeting with... Uh, Dallas or, or, you know, Philadelphia. I, I would doubt it. I would doubt it. Uh, Randall for another $5 donation. Thank you, Randall, for the double donation, all the donations tonight, man. Kind as you are ever, man. Appreciate you. He says, what if Carter is focusing on conditioning and doesn't want to take unnecessary trips across the country? Makes sense to me. We're in a new era now where, do you, you know, whereas before you just jumped on a plane two, three years ago and went, yeah, I'll just get on a plane. And we'll go. Do we, do we think a little bit differently now about these kind of flights where you don't have to exactly take them? Do I really need to go on that flight? Do I really need to get on that plane? Stuck in that tube for five hours, breathing in everybody's air? Mm, I don't know. It may, it may sound like I'm trying to make an excuse here, but I just don't. I There's been a lot of bad looks from Carter this offseason. The racing, the conditioning, the warrant for his arrest on the day of the combine, right? The pro day from hell. Bad looks all in itself and, and none that I would try to gloss over and say isn't a good look or isn't not a bad look. They were. Um, for them, for me, none of those are necessarily death nails in themselves. But this is not one of those that I would add to the ranks to your point on that either, Randall. I don't, I don't put this on top with the rest. And I think there's a little bit of piling on going here right now where we see there's a bit of a sensitivity to looking for things with Carter that are, are going to draw more you can add on to the stack to make the case more succinctly that he is this sub evil type person or something, I guess. But um, yeah, this is not going to be one of those points. I think that definitely 
we can add to the rest, <laughs> so to speak. Great points, Randall. Fantastic points. Uh, Bill, J Bill Jr., thank you for subscribing to the channel, Bill. Welcome aboard. Space, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Almost space. George, I think the gum in my mouth is the key on the care impression because I can already feel it. It's like, we're just doing what we're doing. Keep playing this hard. Keep going at it. Just keep grinding. Keep competing every day. And we're going to stay on. We uh, feel good about where we're going. I think the gum would be the key. Mark says, do Charles talking about Carter spending time in San Antonio eating churros this off season? I'm going to tell you right now, the real reason right now you'll see him Jalen Carter not able to do very well this offseason. Just he likes them churros. And Jalen's got a he's a double problem issue. He likes them churros and then he likes them big old women from San Antonio. So he's just he's got them two churros going and the San Antonio women going with them big old women. And it's a terrible look, America. It's a terrible look. Just one churro, one woman, one churro, another woman. My man just doesn't have any time to train. I don't understand it at all. Justin says that Barkley impression was terrible. It was. A, it's. A, I didn't say it was a. I didn't say it was a good one. At any point, so I'm working on it. <laughs> them big old women in San Antonio. They just eat them two more churros. They like them churros out there. But it's not a bad Jerry Jones beat. Thank you, man. John Ball Bacon, thanks for the great stream. My pleasure, Paul. Always have, always have a ball doing these. Seahawks Blue and Green, if we pass on Carter, I hope the Eagles don't get him because if he turns out to be good, then the Eagles will be good for a long time. I feel that way about also the Lions in this situation, Seahawks Blue and Green. Imagine the Lions come out of this first round with Jalen Carter and uh, an edge like Nolan Smith and Summit. Like they could come out of it in that way where they really build that defensive line up with what they're already getting done offensively and it starts to get scary. It does. It does indeed. Besides, Bob says, Bobby will straighten Jalen right out. I think he'd be a very good, uh, he'd be a very good influence on him, that's for sure. You think, you would think it would help. Justin says, I hear a little Ross Perot in that Jerry impression. I might, maybe so. Maybe so now. Hey, this is here. This is where you get Ross Perot. Ross Perot come over here. Look at America. They're trying to take your money right now, America. I'm telling you. Listen to me now, America. I'm going to tell you what's going on right now. Jerry got that list. Jerry got that one. Jerry smile. I'm going to tell you what's that. Jerry's got a little bit of mouth. He, breathes. he got a little airy breeze when he smiles. That's why we're America's Cowboys. The Cowboys. It's a little bit. Got a little bit of that swishel in there. Pedro says, I find it weird how Jerry Jones is both the owner and the general manager. Well, then he even makes it weirder because he does the nepotism thing and has his son is now the, the general manager to take over for his general managership. Like, oh my God, it gets even weirder, huh? And yeah, that's why I mock it so much. That's why I mock Al Davis back in the day for doing it. You being the, that owner that's the cliche owner coming in there and making personnel decisions like, I made a lot of money now, all right? I made a lot of money, so I was good at making money. I know football, all right? If I know, I know money, I'm going to know football, all right? They both go together, same thing. You know one, you're going to know the other. Like, yeah, I see it. HBIC, Cowboys trading up for 26 for Bijan. I could see him doing it too, man. 
I love me my, you know, Jerry loves himself as Bijan. I like it better. I'll tell you right now. I like Bijan better than I like Dijon mustard. Okay. And I like my mustard, but I like my Bijan better. Christopher Standard Time, is that Barkley or Hank Hill? I tell you what, it's not a good Barkley. Like I said, it's, it ain't a plus Barkley. I'll give you guys that. <laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, Trent says, that Barkley impression with the churros made me spit out my nose. Thanks, Brando. <laughs> he just likes them. How can he train when he's got them churros in his mouth? I can't train. I like women too, but them churros and women, you ain't lifting any weights. You just gonna get big. Go out there for them pro days. Team looking at you like, why? So here, you want churro, Pete? Here's a churro, Pete. Would you like that instead? He says, well, I want you to train. I understand. I'd say, I don't know what to do, coach. That's so damn delicious. Daniel says, Mr. Reply, teams should be forced to pay the entirety of the contract within the duration the player is under contract leads to true fair roster building and doesn't actually give players less. Oh, did I miss, uh, did I miss your comment on that, Daniel? I'm sorry, man. I'm going to pop through. Um... I certainly wouldn't mind missed. I wouldn't mind go, them going that way, Daniel, and and having the structure of that be the way the NFL has to go going forward. It certainly would be great for players because the, there'd be more of a guarantee the contract they're getting, and they know what they're getting, and less of that. The team's going to pull the rug out from under me, and then suddenly I'm not going to make anything, and suddenly I'm I'm led you know out here into the deep waters and no career anymore, and they've 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 dumped me at the worst possible time. So there's a really good parts of it on that. Of course, the big issue here becomes with the injury situation that crops up in the NFL and, and the hard salary cap that you're dealing with, you know, you could have teams that get caught into a scenario where you're hard capping them at this point. The, 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 the money's guaranteed in there. You've got guys you're paying now on books that maybe are long done playing the sport a year, two years down the line. And, um, you know, it, it, it could create a situation where franchises get into really tough shape, not because they're necessarily bad at the way that they spent their money, but because they ran into bad luck from an injury standpoint. Now, baseball and basketball, you have much more of a certainty that the players are going to get through their contracts for the most part. And so that, that, is, the, that is, to me, the, where things get a little sticky on this one. But I'm, I'm not anti it at all, Daniel. I think it certainly makes a lot of sense the NFL to eventually transition there, especially with is how hard the game is on their bodies and how short their careers are. It makes a lot of sense. But the hill you have to get over is that, that proverbial hill of what happens when this happens if we have that rule in place? What happens if that happens? You know, the kind of the fallout things that could occur from that, which is why the, that hasn't already been implemented into the league up until this point. Those same factors that have held it back up until this point. Mark Cardigan says, uh, why you never buy your woman a watch, Chuck? There's a clock on the stove. <laughs> That's quoting Chuck, folks. This is not just doing the Chuck impression. <laughs> Don't come at me, women. And then, that ain't my opinion. That's just Chuckster saying it. There's a clock on the stove. It's a digital output reading right there on the stove. Just look right over. You don't need no watch. 
Pedro Mendoza, what position should we draft in the third round? Well, I think you're going defensive tackle early, Pedro. I think you're going twice defensive tackle early. I think you're going linebacker early on the other side of it. So we've taken out those two rungs. What do we need now next? Third round. How about we look for either a guard or a running back in the third round from a value standpoint? Guard, center, running back. It'd be a likely potential third round option for us. Those would be the most likely, I should say. Third round option. Megan says, Pete rolls the left corner of his bottom lip into his mouth when he speaks. And yes, I watch him be. I'll have to work on it. I'll see if I can find an angle on him, you know. What's up, Sajin? How you doing, man? Damn it, Ernie. <laughs> Mr. Isaac, what's up, brother? It's good to see you. Daniel, I wasn't referring to injuries uh, guarantees. I was referring to the removal of void years. It seems really dumb. Uh, a team is like, we're going to pay you $10 million three years after you left our team. Oh, okay. I get that. Yeah, I'd be okay with them cracking down on that kind of stuff with a Daniel. You know, the players union probably fights him on it, but I'd certainly, from the competitive, competitive balance aspect and making everybody have to operate on the, you know, everybody has to operate from the same thing. And, and the point of creating the salary cap, Daniel, to your point on this, was to level the playing field for small market teams like your Cincinnati Bengals. And when you have teams like the big market teams like L.A., that are now able to throw this extra money on top of their books and wind that money off down the road, you're undoing the spirit of the salary cap, right? That's the whole point of your, what's the point of the cap then to a degree, right? It's, it's almost like a soft cap more than it is really a cap. So uh, I'm with you on the philosophy of that and that making a lot of sense um, in taking that stuff out. Cause I do like to, I do like the leveling of the playing field. And it's the thing that really football has been able to dynamically do in a way that baseball and basketball haven't. The, the haves and the have-nots, that separation that, that exists in those other sports, just isn't is not much there in football. Everybody feels like they kind of got a chance. They get the right, or, if they get the right brain trust in there, they get the right coach, they get the right structure from ownership down, then it can get done. And not necessarily from just spending money standpoint, but from smart personnel decision-making standpoint. Megan, it's a clip from Barkley. Barkley says the clip. So Barkley's got a funny clip that's gone viral and they make him mention it every once in a while where they said it was a joke. They're asking him, why don't you get a woman to watch? And he's like, there's a clock on the stove. It's not me saying it. It's, I'm just doing the impression of Barkley. <laughs> don't kill the, don't kill the, uh, uh, the messenger. Uh, Thaddeus uh, says, you think the Seahawks uh, could or even would trade up to three and take Will Anderson? Um, I've maintained that I can't quite see a trade up for the Seahawks. Um, is it possible they could do it in this draft? It's possible, Thaddeus. I mean, let's walk through a little bit of the Will Anderson approach here. You, you have this draft where I think there's two guys that are separators at the top of this draft that are true blue tier one talents. And then there's not a lot of other guys outside the quarterback position that would be in that same realm. And so if you look at those guys as the true tier one talents and you go, we don't like as much of this draft. There's not as much value for us in this draft by having the, the nine other picks that we have in addition to this. And we really trust in what we get from Will Anderson here. Well, then you, you, adjust, you potentially jump at that point. Um, so it, it does make sense from that angle of it, but the parts where I just don't see it making any sense to me when I really think this through is number one, you've never in a first round in the history of Schneider ever moved up with Schneider and Carroll in any first round, not even one space. And then the other thing being is that this would require the Cardinals to make this happen. And then this would require the Cardinals to do move 
have us move back to allow us to move up at that point, which you just don't usually see these kind of trades, especially at the top of the draft between interdivisional foes. So is it possible? Well, it's possible. Um, but it's not probably it's not probably anywhere near likelihood. Mark Carter Gunn, Max Crosby for a fifth pick if you some Max Crosby for fifth pick if somehow Will and Jalen are gone. I'd want something back, Mark. I'd want like something back. And I think that Raiders just did pay him. So I don't think that he's really a guy that can even be moved because they'd have to eat so much dead money on the books if they did move. Pedro Mendoza asks if I like Josh Downs. I'm I'm a little bit slow to warm up on Josh Downs. Um, I think he's a little bit like Jackson Smith and Jigba where he's going to be just a really dynamic, explosive slot guy at the next level. Um, And I love his body control. I do like how he runs routes. I like his hands a lot. Um, A very fine player down the line. But I do feel like he's just kind of more of an inside guy when it's all said and done with my standpoint on him. He doesn't have a lot of size, doesn't have a lot of arm length. A very dynamic athlete. Um, Absolutely what you love to see from the slot as far as the way he moves and his quickness. Um, But I don't think he's going to be able to play on the outside at the next level either. I think he's going to be a little bit restricted on in being in the inside. So I've got him kind of right there. I mean, I, I guess some people have him even moving up into like high second round range. I can't quite get there with him on that. I, I think he's, he's being viewed, it seems like, by many in the consensus boards at a lot higher spot than I have him, Pedro. I don't have him dinged down, but I don't have him necessarily at the height of heights. Michael IT does a clock on the stove, highlight of the stream. <laughs> Justin says, I think Megan's currently trying to find a way to put Brandon in timeout right now. <laughs> Megan says, you're so lucky you're not within striking distance B. I'm usually not violent, but to hell with that. <laughs> uh, Connor, uh, I want the team to trade the 20th pick for uh, a later first uh, and a second and a third round pick or, or just for a second and a third round picks. A lot of positions the Seahawks need and a lot of good value in those rounds. Uh, found, I find myself in the same place, Connor, where I, I agree. And, and as I've said many times on this, I, I want to get more picks as we can, especially in that second round range. And if there's a way to kind of stock up on second round picks in this draft uh, at the cost of picking higher in the first round of this draft or moving back a couple times in the first round with both of the first round picks, Connor, I'd be willing to do it. I think you could come out at the end of the day in totality of picks and players at a much better state than you could by just staying natively and taking the guys that you have there to be picked. Joker says, which team would trade up to three, the Titans or Vikings? Uh, certainly both of those teams are in play here, Joker, to move up. Um, and they've been talked about as, as being teams that would be willing to move up. I think it's very much open-ended at this point, Joker, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential targeted teams here who could be willing to make this move. It's not just segmented to just one or two teams needing a quarterback. As the Raiders sitting there at seven, you know, it, there's a good probably five or six teams from seven to 14 that could all move up into that range of, of the three to go get their quarterback. And some of this, of course, Joker comes into play on the, the Lamar Jackson and the Aaron Rodgers situation playing out to better determine this because that still hasn't sh- shaken out on either end of things. And some teams could be kind of waiting in the background to see how either of those two situations go before deciding if they're going to move up in the draft or not. So kind of one shoe's got to fall off the other foot, so to speak, to get to that place of it. Um, but both of those teams are certainly possible of being those teams that will move up in this draft. 
Mark, I think we can trade Daryl Taylor at this point. Certainly if you take Will Anderson, I think Daryl Taylor is a likely guy to be moved in a trade for like a late second or a third round pick at that point. I do agree with you there, Mark. Johnny Gelato, who's the best late round breakout running back? Great question. Late round. So I got to go fifth round and onwards. Hmm. How about um how about Dwayne McBride? Um Dwayne McBride is a guy that is Johnny, he's gonna be, I think, a fifth round guy. Um, a ton of production coming out of college. 3,000 yards over the last two years. Um, nice abilities, loose hips, quicks, vision, um, reaction from the second that he gets the ball and ability to change direction off that moment. I mean, just quick, little, just great, nice base skills that you want for the running back position. He's 5'11", 215, so he's got some of the size that's missing in this class. I love his jump stop ability when he's got to you know recalibrate where he's kind of going on the fly. Um Runs behind his pads, great, decisive runner, the kind of running back that can work in the NFL, where it's not always about how creative you are and how good you are in the open field and how well you can dance. You know, sometimes it's about putting your head down and putting your head down in the right direction and, and being able to get up and go. Uh, so I liked his tape quite a bit. I think he would be the, the guy that would come to mind as that guy who could fit that, that mark. Joker, which run wide receiver prospects most pro ready? JSN. JSN or Jordan Addison? JSN's the most ready to be a guy in the slot. Addison's the most ready to give you some outside play as well. But from an inside spot, yeah. Christopher, Peter came, Peter King came out yesterday and said that the Texans are interested in Will Anderson. Makes some sense, Christopher. I've long thought there's a way they could go with this where, you know, they take Anderson at number, what, two, and then they look to trade back up with Seattle at five because Texans are sitting in a position where they have the 12th pick in the first round, which gives them the opportunity to move back up in the first round where they offer that team like Seattle at five or even the Cardinals, if we want to say them. They offer them that team. You're dropping back. You're going to pick up extra picks from us, but you only have to fall back to 12. You don't have to drop back into the depths of the first round. Could, it could make a lot of sense how that would work out that way, Christopher. Johnny says, do you trade up from 20 for anyone? Uh, for who? I wouldn't trade up for anyone, Johnny, no. You have to give up too much to trade up, in my opinion. You want to trade back, you don't want to trade up. And not in this draft, especially, Johnny, where the tier one is really small and the tier two is really big. Tier two in this draft probably goes from like pick eight to pick 70. And those guys are all in that collection of players very, very similarly talented, I would say. So I wouldn't want to move up in this draft for any guy. Can't do it. Can't do it. Megan says, I'm taking the photo of you and I after the cards game off the shelf, B. <laughs> It's Charles saying it. It's not me, Megan. It's Charles. 
What's up, Wilbert? Mark Anderson in five, can't see 20, best scenario. If that's not it, it's pretty damn close to being it, Mark. That would work for me. That would definitely work for me. That's right, Christopher, standard time. We'll see. It's the draft. You got to trust no one, especially right now. We're in that cloak and dagger phase of the draft a few weeks out where teams are trying to, they're, they're, they're trying to situate themselves where they're wanting to get the guys they're looking at and falling in love with. Brian says, Houston's owner loves Young. He's the pick. It makes sense. They could do Brian if it, if it does go four quarterbacks taking first four picks. Maybe Houston trades up from 12 with us to get Anderson at that point. Say, hey, we'll give you a second, a third, and bop a bop. Could be there. Jonah's all about Carter at five. Makes sense. You didn't have to repeat it, B. <laughs> uh, Charles ain't being serious. He's joking around, Megan. He's playing. That's just Charles being funny. Justin Coins Tank Bigsby is a perfect player for the Texans tank mode. There you go, Justin. They can uh, they draft Tank Bigsby, and then they can draft Tank Dell for the outside. So I have a Tank at receiver, Tank uh, inside, tank, tank outside, bit of both. Kirk Stemmer, thank you for the $2 donation, Kirk. I really do appreciate it. Sorry, a little late. Uh, it took me a couple minutes there to see that one, but my bad. Seahawks should draft a wide receiver three before drafting a running back. Uh, maybe, Kirk, maybe on that. I mean, the one thing I would say is that technically speaking, wide receiver three, you've got at least some guys here and and they may not be good. They not may not be good options in Eskridge or Derek Young, but they're options. And where if you look at the running back room right now, Kirk, you don't have running back three. You don't have running back four. You don't have really a third down running back right now. Dallas has done some of that, but Homer had always been the guy to run that role when the two of them were both here and the two of them were both healthy at the same time, which is not very often. So there is a little bit more of a need. If it, as it stands to running back, then it stands for that, that third wide receiver position as far as the depth is concerned on your team right now. But there's no denying Kirk at the end of the day. They're both needs on this team as it stands. You can stand to get a receiver. You can stand to get some running backs. You know, you, that, those, those do sit kind of outside of center and guard as the forefront needs on offense um, in kind of its entirety as it stands. Everything else is in pretty good shape. Oxfam, my only favorite prospect if we trade down is Skaronsky. He is the perfect guard prospect in a while. Like him, Cox fan. I'd agree. I think he's the best guard prospect in this draft. And uh, you, he's not a Hutchinson-like town at the position. So where you pick him, where he deserves to go, where he should fall. It's a little bit harder to kind of get ex exactly that. But he does provide not only, I think, as being the best guard, but a guy that presides a lot of positional versatility. He can play both guard spots. He can play center. He could probably play a little right tackle for you at the pro level, even though he does have the short arms. Fun player, though. Johnny Gelato, Hendon Hooker, a perfect project for the Hawks. 
Third round, Johnny. Get him in the third round. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. We're talking second round. That's a little early for me. But third round, yeah. Joseph Hendenhooker is not somebody we need to be wasting money or time on when it comes to time for Gino to step up. We just got to go for a young prospect at the time we don't have time to waste. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking third round, Jonah, if you did go for him. So it's not that you'd pick him early, but maybe later on looking at it at that point. Uh, Jonah says, hey, Brandon, I want to send some memorabilia to Brandon. Where do I find his public mailing address? I know it's somewhere because people are sending him stuff. Just look in the description section, Jonah. So you'll see on the description section of this video, uh, you should at least, I believe, unless, did I not put it in here on this one? You know what? I didn't. I'm my bad. Let me get it in. I'll get it in the description here. Let me pop it in here for you. So just check in the description in a second here and I'll have, uh, I'll have you a, uh, an address if you want to send me something. Shout out to Garth though, by the way. I don't know if you guys can notice. You probably can't see it really clear, but I got the Steve Hutchinson card up there next to Ricky Waters right now. I don't know if you guys can see it or not, but it's there. Um, so just follow those directions. I just saved that in there. You should see it updated now in the description section if you're looking to send something. Uh, Jonah, it should pop up. Just put it, do it exactly in the description there to my friend's name and then in care of Hawk's Nest and it will definitely get to me. Mark says, Draymond, Anderson, Cansey, Bobby, Adams, rush in the backfield. That'd be pretty sick. Or fire, as you put in your emoji. That'd be pretty fire. Only the fourth round, huh, Jonah, for Hendon? I get it. I just don't think he's going to last that long. Herbicide, we need 12 picks, though. There we do. George Harmon says, good night. Got to go to bed, y'all. Love the show. Thank you, George. Appreciate the big donation, man, and all the love from down under. Uh, go Hawks down there, man, and maybe someday we will get a game out there to your side of it. Jonas says, I'll make a friendly bet with you that says Hendon Hooker doesn't go until the fifth round. Friendly bet? Bet taken, Jonah. Bet, bet accepted. I think he's going third round. I do. Connor Oshwagler says, what are my thoughts on Emmanuel Forbes? One of the greatest things you can do as a quarterback and as a quarterback prospect when looking at guys is the ability to take away the ball, to intercept the ball. And I believe that he's got like 16 picks or something crazy like that, 16 takeaways over the last couple of years from the outside. So a great ball skills, very fluid athlete, very quick. Um, can stop and start, can trust his speed to catch back up if he's going to let a player beat him. He can bait a quarterback. That's how he gets some of those interceptions as well. He weighed in about 167 pounds at the combine. So Connor, when we say he's light, it's not just merely like a little light. Like he's really, really, really light. And there aren't a lot of guys at the NFL level at 166 pounds that are holding up. You know, We once tried this with a guy by the name of Kelly Jennings back about 17, 18 years ago where we took this guy, I think in the first round, Really light guy, really thin, and he just got overwhelmed. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald took that kid to the to the woodshed every single week that we played him. Like there was nothing he could do. Like Larry would just moss him all day long. So the the slight corners you get worried about it there. My comp for him is Asante Samuel. So I think he's got a lot of that Asante Samuel kind of way he rolls about his business out there. I do think he's probably like a second rounder at this point, with where I see him. 
but a fun player, one of the best corners in this draft corner. It's just his one, his one kryptonite is that that weight where you worry a little bit about the weight, but he's got the size and the length you certainly look for in the position. What's the American equivalent of Vegemite? I don't think we got an equivalent of Vegemite, do we, Megan? You've been over here. There's no equivalent to Vegemite, right? It's its own unique thing, I think. They didn't like your mint chocolate in Australia, Jonah? Mint chocolate is where it's at. That's where it's at. All right, folks. Well, we have passed uh, a little over three hours here today. I'm coming back in here shortly with the show tomorrow. So let's get in the last of our uh, questions here on the show tonight as we kind of round this up as, again, just trying to do a little bit of these quicker shows to kind of get more turnaround, to get more shows going. So it just went last night with a good three-hour show with Brendan. Got to go tomorrow night too. So we'll get uh, a little bit of a wrap up here. Let's get the last of those kind of questions in and kind of put a button on this. George Greg Kemp says, Brandon, have you looked at Blake Freeland and thoughts as a possible guard option? He would interest me in that realm of things um, more than he would interest me as a, as a tackle 100% here, Greg. I don't think he's going to round out as a tackle at the NFL level. He was one of the worst performing offensive linemen at the Senior Bowl. And so you got a level of competition a little bit there with him at BYU, which isn't the greatest, doesn't test out at well at Senior Bowl, but has some great testing numbers as far as how he just tests in the pure drills and whatnot. Tests outstanding in that realm of things. Um, he looked pretty good at times at tackle. Uh, not the athleticism you look for. You're on the right track with wanting to kick him into guard. Certainly, this is the new this is the new pathway that teams take with with these guards, and especially when you're like us right now, just um, Greg, where you have a you you have a situation where you're wanting to get these mobile guards and you can't find them. Look at the top guards in this draft, and you got Steve Avilia and Osiris Torrance, and just these plotting. They can't really move. They can't get in space. Can't get to the second level blocks. Well, then the way to get there, and the way that a lot of teams are doing this now, is to move the tackles inside to guard. And so you would get that benefit from him. He is a legit six seven. I always do worry when you start getting to six seven and kicking a guy inside there, Greg, that he's going to be able to get low enough and sink his hips low enough to be able to live win the leverage battle. Because you don't have to always win the leverage battle as a tackle, but you've got to win it as a guard. And at 6'7", this is part of my reason with having some hesitancy, believing that uh, Abraham Lucas could be kicked into guard. Is I just think you get to about 6'7", and it gets really tough to be at that size to make it work. You've got to be outstandingly strong because you're going to lose the leverage war now. So now you've got to be overwhelmingly strong to overcome that. And if we're talking about guys historically at 6'7", that have pulled that off, it's, it's guys like DJ Fluker. That these just mountainous men that are so big, your leverage doesn't matter a little bit. But later round guy, if you want to take that attempt, I'm okay with it, Greg. Not early round. Not in the early parts. But later round, sure. As a flyer thing, that's, that's the pathway we're probably going to have to take here, Greg, to find our next guard options if we're going to find a pure athletic fit for the profile we're looking for. Johnny Gelato, honest opinion on Gino's second year. Uh, my opinion is that I think Gino's going to have overall a slightly better year this next year than he had last year. I think the running game is going to be more consistent. His offensive line will be improved. He's not going to lose anything from his pass catchers as far as that standpoint goes. 
So I think an improved team, improved Geno. Improved Geno by a significant portion, Johnny? No. But by just a, just a tiny bit on the guy that set franchise records last year? Yes. I, I do see that. Because this year, kind of what ended up kind of dinging his stats was that dip that he had at the end of the year. And I don't think he's going to have necessarily the high of highs he had through the first 12 games last year necessarily, but he'll have more of a consistency of height, uh, which will lead to a better overall year in that consistency. Just my, my guess. Trendsidebots USA version of Vegemite is a cream cheese. Really? Megan, cream cheese is way better than Vegemite though. Michael Myers says, Mina Kine says it's AR at five. I'm okay with AR at five, Michael. I don't want to trade up for him, but I'm, I'm perfectly fine with him at five. No problems there whatsoever. Mina, Mina loves herself some, some quarterbacks early. She, is, she was chomping at the bit last year. She's back to chomping at the bit again this year. Bless her. <laughs> she likes her. She loves her quarterbacks. Hawks fan, thank you for the $5 donation, Hawks fan. I do really appreciate it as well. Appreciate you being a member of the channel too. Uh, I swear to God, you guys, I'm getting that draft guide out here in the next day or two. I've got the thing almost wrapped up. So be on the lookout on the community post. I'll get that draft guide out hopefully very, 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 very shortly. Justin, uh, he says, uh, I would really like to use the 20th pick on Darnell Washington. He is such a unique player and trade Noah Fant. I would be completely fine with it, Hawks fan. I'm completely fine with it. I would celebrate the pick. I would clap for it. I'd stand up and clap. Uh, You know with me, I think Darnell Washington is the number one tight end of this draft, and I have a first-round grade on him. So taking him in the 20th pick overall, perfectly fine in making that decision. The part that I like with Fan is on a couple of different levels in moving Fan. First off, you're getting out a year ahead of a situation rather than being reactive to letting him just go in free agency a year into the future for nothing. Now you go and you get something for Noah Fan right now. You also then clear the money off the books, some $6.85 million um, off the books is this team right now, even after releasing Ryan Neal, needs to get more money cleared. So then you accomplish and take care of that task all in one fell swoop as well. And you go and then get a guy in Darnell Washington who overall upgrades the position then at 20 by making that move. Um, I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I think it does make a lot of sense. The team hasn't indicated they're going to go down this road with the Hawks fan and that they seem to be, at, by, all, by all appearances, just going to roll with fan through his fifth-year option and call it a day, but uh, I'd like to see it. Spencer Smith says, Brandon, who's your pick for the annual flagship JS project player in round five through seven? Call me nuts, but my idea would be stashing Bryce Ford Wheaton and attempting a position change to cornerback. Oh my gosh, really? Um, wow, that's very specific on that, Spencer. Um, uh, project. Project player. Okay, good question. I would probably go for more I don't know if this is, has to be a project player that we're moving position on, if that's what your prerequisite was kind of looking to be. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Michael Wilson, Stanford receiver, would maybe be that kind of guy for me this year. I think he's going to be a fifth-round receiver. 
He could be that guy. Maybe Zach Kuntz of Old Dominion. Tight end. You want to go a little bit longer. Or Andre Izoslovos. Another real toolsy guy that a little rough around the edges. Kind of a track guy, still new to the receiver position. Mark Hardigan says, come on, Lucas is good where he is. Best rookie on the whole team last year. Agreed, man. I don't want to move him. But you definitely were hearing some of this about the Darnell Wright talk with, you know, move Lucas in, draft Darnell Wright with the 20th pick. I can't quite understand it myself, but yeah. Greg Kemp says, Brandon, based on what you said, thoughts on Matthew Bergeron, who's 6'5", at possible guard option? I don't think I've given a, a, a long enough look at Bergeron, if I'm remembering correctly. He's on my list. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I haven't had a chance to quite take a look at him yet, Greg. He's on my list to look at. Um, <laughs> I just, it's with the with trying to look at the guys that are tackle potential guard converts, I'm going to get to those guys and look at them, but they'll be kind of one of the last sort of things I look at because I want to look at for most the most likely things we do first to the foremost, right? And and because it's a heavy guess to say, well, will this guy randomly be kicked inside and moved inside? And I don't know in this draft, especially great because there's not a lot of great quality tackles. If there's going to be as much moving guys inside, absent, we're talking about Skaronsky and Cody Mock, you know, um, more guys that are the short arm guys. I, but I don't have a, I'm far, sorry, I haven't taken a look at Bergeron. I'll try to have a look at him by the time we um, we do our next show on Sunday. Come back and ask me on that, Dan. I'll take a look at him. Because um, I'm, I'm just getting into my guards now really deeply. I've gone through like the first nine or ten guys and starting to get a little more into the stuff. Tackles as well. So just getting into the kind of depths of that. Jonah Whale, hey B, Seahawk Brendan Nelson talked about two top 100 centers that I really like in this draft. Wilper and Joe Tipman. I would honestly spend a fourth or even a third round pick on one of these centers. As would I, Jonah. I think Wilper's got a very good chance of going in the second round. A tip Ben might get in there as well. So, um, you know, you're going to be lucky to get either of those guys in the fourth. Say nothing of the third. But uh, both of those guys are solid center options. I think you've got John Michael Schmitz, Wilper, Tipman, Corey Patterson and probably Ricky Stromberg is guys that should be able to play in the NFL at the center position, I would think. They'll be at varying levels of good or bad, but uh, they should at least be NFL players at the position, I would think, at the next level. Michael, I think Gino will be better this season. He's putting in work this offseason. Seems determined to prove he's for he's more than a one-hit wonder. Next, Curtin Warner type. Could be, Michael. Could be, and he's doing and saying all the right things. And he has from day one here being the starter. So he's continuing to do do those right stuff. And, you know, he's a guy that's probably very well aware in how he's grown his game over time and understanding that this stuff happens slowly and it's a process and you have to put the daily work in. It isn't about putting a couple of weeks of work in and then taking a month off or it's about day in and day out, just putting that work in and grinding. And he sounds very much like he's doing that. He wants to be great. He wants to do everything he knows he needs to do. He's been around great players to see what it takes to get there. And I think if Geno fails, it's not going to be for lack of effort. Geno fails and we and he falls short. It's not going to be because he hasn't done everything he can in his power to be great. And that's all you can ask for from a player is that dedication. And he is absolutely providing that. 
Megan says that the hawk's nest won't be on tomorrow as it's good Friday and I'll be in church for four hours. Sounds good, Megan. Make sure you drink water in there. There's a lot of people closely, tightly packed. So take care of yourself in there. Um, Jonah says, I would honestly, I would be honest, I would just die if we took care, if we took Anthony Richardson at five. Um, anybody who knows me knows that Cortez is the best Seahawk in the world to me ever. If we don't take Jalen Carter, I'm going to be livid. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be alone on that, Jonah. I do not think you're going to be alone on that one. <laughs> Trent says, I laughed my ass off. I imagine how polarized the ingredient is, but that pause made my night. Good night, Brando. Thanks for the entertainment. My pleasure, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> cream cheese and Vegemite. <coughs> Justin Goins says Jalen Carter's like Vegemite. Nobody likes him. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. That's funny. Uh, Mark Cadigan, thank you for the $5 dono, man. Appreciate the donation. Jalen, Jalen's film is nuts. Lining up alone on D-line, still breaking through. Pete can get the best out of him. Best player culture in the league. See? Hooks. Let's go, Mark. And look, your evaluation and a lot of these other people, and I know that this is definitely a hot button issue, um, but removing just the character stuff because it's the stuff we don't know about Mark and, and what he is as a pure player is my number one player in this draft. And I didn't come to that point lightly. I didn't come to that point and just, I, this is where I am and I'm not going to be moved off this spot now. His player to me jumped out more than any other. And he is um, absolutely a game wrecker upshot. And like you said, it doesn't matter if there's one or two blockers, he'll get through both. It doesn't matter if you throw a guard and attack at him. He'll get through both. Um, he is strength, quickness, power, um, everything you could want in a defensive lineman, he brings to the table. Now, the character stuff is what it is, but the talent on that line is also what it is from him. And this is a team in Georgia that did something that's very hard to do in college football, which is win back-to-back -back national titles. It's very difficult to do, especially when you're doing it out of the SEC, where your 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 measure for you know your your measure for error, your room for error is tiny. The other thing that doesn't get talked about a lot with this, Mark, is that the guy played through two injuries this past year. Third-rated defensive tackle in all of football by pro football focus playing through two injuries, including a high ankle sprain that would have knocked many other players out. His coach talked about it. Kirby Smart talked about it a couple weeks ago at the Pro Day. As a player, he's peerless. As a player, he is unique. As a special defensive tackle as he is, there's not any others that come off like this guy does in recent years. The character stuff is the character stuff. But the player on the field is also the player on the field. And Joe and I hope we take him too. If we take him, and that means the character's clean, and I'm going to trust the player we're getting, I'll tell you that. Jonah says, I would also like Will Anderson, so I'll make the same bet if we take Will Anderson with the fifth pick. I'll send the podcast an autographed Cortez candy card. Hey, sounds good, man. Bet. But for the record, I'm right there with you and wanting to see it happen as well, you know? Wanting to see Tez here. I'm with Mark Cardigan on this. I want to see him here as well. 
I know I've got to bring Meg, Megan back in the fold, but that's okay. We'll get her back in on that. The team will be better. Spencer Smith, Brandon, last time you seemed fairly may on DJ Turner as a prospect. After watching him some more, I'm unsure what I'm missing. I see a high, uh, high caliber athlete with good instincts um, and a competitor as well. Um, yes, I will say, Spencer, there's definitely those prospects out there that, that I don't find myself as high on as the consensus goes. And something the consensus has taught us on the Spencers is, is that it tends to be right. And so if there's a consensus out there that players are, um, that there's a given player that's being varied, you know, highly measured across the boards everywhere else, and I seem to be a little bit lower on them, I'm probably the one that's out of pocket on that. I do lean back into those saying that I, I, I can never really get to the on board with making my evaluation Spencer off of just the, the consensus board. And that I do all at the end of the day, just trust back in my own look at the film and, and what I saw in him. Um, he is really, really sudden and he's really, really fast. Um, and he does pop on tape, no doubt about it. Um, I don't know if he's 4640 fast like he tested out, um, but he is very sudden and he's got a lot of that. That suddenness is what you need. The stop and start is what you need from the corner position and all that. Um, the man's hands don't work. And so when it comes to a cornerback and how they play in coverage and how sticky they are in coverage, you know, when they don't have hands that, can really catch or take away the ball. I am going to ding them a little bit about that, even when they're sticky in coverage, because there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a restriction to how high to me they can get on that point at that, at that spot of things. And while he is a really good tackler in the running game and stuck in his, his nose in there, and he's got a nose for the ball on the tape with that, he is 180 pounds. So Spencer, you know, he weighs 13 pounds more than Emmanuel Forbes that we're talking about, where it's like, really worry about that size. That's not that much heavier of a guy. And though the tackling can hold up at the college level at 180 pounds, is he going to be able to hold up at the pro level at 180 pounds in the same way as a tackler? So I, I saw on tape a little bit of grabbiness in there. I saw a little bit of lack of ability to take away the ball on the other side of it. He can be sticky in coverage. He can be right there in the back pocket and drape a guy. But I just didn't quite see the guy that, is on the same level as some of the other players in this thing. Like you mentioned, Emmanuel Forbes, who's only 13 pounds lighter, but Emmanuel Forbes has what? 16. Let me, let's see what it is here. Forbes. 14 interceptions in the last three seasons. You know, he takes the ball away. He's got ball skills and that's going to have, I'm going to put some more value to that for me. than just the guy that's sticky. So I worry about the tackling holding up Spencer. I worry about his ability to, to, to have the ball skills. And that also, I would say, comes into play on tr ball tracking, um, being a, you know just knocking the ball away. I don't think that he's as much as aware in that. I think he's, his stickiness is what is at the forefront of his game. And he sticks his nose in there, and he's a rugged defender in his willingness. But at 180 pounds, I don't think he's going to tackle as well at the next level as he did at college at that size. Could be wrong. But if he's playing on the outside like we're talking about, that's... That, that is a little bit of a concern there with that. Um, one, other, one other thing to post to on this, Spencer, that's again within consideration of this, Just and this is a very key point. I know I harp on the arm length thing, but I understand too with this, Spencer, that the NFL harps on the arm length thing. If I'm not mistaken, there was two outside corners in the entire National Football League. So Spencer, you have 64 outside corners starting in the National Football League at any given time. Okay, there was two of those 64 throughout the NFL that had less than 32 inch long arms starting on the outside. Your, your guy in Turner has got 30 and three fourths inch arms. So he's a little more than an inch less of length. 
at six feet tall. So it's that size stuff is a little bit of my worries here with this too. Size, length. I don't have a track record, Spencer, of a lot of guys with under 32-inch long arms starting on the outside in the pro level. So I got a guy who's got arm length issues that doesn't really take away the ball on the other side. He's got good parts to him. Um, and look, I mean, I've got him. I've got him, I think, third, fourth round here. Yeah, so I've got him. I mean, it's not like I'm hating on him. You know, I mean, Spencer, I've got him in a third round place of things. I have him as still one of the upper level prospects in this in this draft, maybe even a top 100 guy. Um, absolutely a top 100 guy. Sorry, you know, so a top 100 guy, but just not in the same class as some of the other corners. Uh, Spencer says, if Seattle takes Carter, how many more teams are more physically imposing than them? Metcalf, Bobby, Woolen, Nwosu, Lucas, Cross, uh, Draymond Jones. That squad would be uh, mean as hell. Not many, man. Not too many if there are any. That's, that is a pretty imposing squad at that point. Um, probably a couple teams would have a little bit maybe even that. Eagles could probably have a little say in on something like that. But not many. Have yourself a good night, Justin. Appreciate you, man. Jack, I see us ultimately ending up with either Anderson or Richardson. I'm leaning Anderson at the moment. I see the cards trading their pick. I do as well, Jack. I see it playing out that same way. And I lean that same way. Sean Proper, would you love to get back to being that team that when uh, that when they get off the bus, it's like OS, but more concerned with Carter's motor and passion than character at this point. And character, passion than character at this point. Um... Yeah, I'm not worried about Carter's motor. Um, he does get gassed out, and you have to take him off the field for when he gets gassed out. But when, Sean, he's on the field and he's playing, he lets it rip. I don't think you see a lot of snaps with him, in my opinion, where he's taking plays off. He's also double-teamed a high propensity of the time, um, taking a lot of the attention away from the rest of the other players in that Georgia defensive line at points. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I mean, again, it, he, as Kirby Smart talked about this year, he had two different injuries. He could have shut it down at two different points this year for Georgia and said, okay, I'm going to wait on the draft. You know, he could have during the playoffs said, you know what, Sean, he had done enough on tape throughout the course of the year at that point to say, Hey, Georgia team, I'm not playing in the playoffs. I'm not risking any injury. I've already gone through two injuries this year so far playing through those injuries to help get you guys to the national title game. I'm not doing any more of that. I'm going to sit on the bench now and wait for my draft. I'm already going to be a top five pick if I do nothing else on the football field. If I go play for you guys in the playoffs, I can only hurt my draft value at this point. And he still went out there and played. And let's keep in mind, there's a lot of guys we can go through this draft process, folks. A lot of guys we can look at who sat out their final game, who didn't play their last playoff game, who weren't there with their running mates. This guy did. So I... I the conditioning thing, valid. You know, um, needing to be on the field better and more often valid. But I don't know if I get there with the the passion or the the unwillingness to maybe play, you know, all out 100% all the time. I see quite the opposite of a guy that goes for it and lets it rip on the football field. Mark says, any safety standing out to Pete, do you think, now that they released Neil? I, there's four guys through four rounds, Mark. So let's go four rounds at a time here. Uh, first round, I think certainly Brian Branch is an option. Talented guy, fits to maybe what they could be looking at a little early, probably aren't going to pick him, but he's an option in round one. Um, option in round two would be Sidney Brown. 
can play the slot, can play strong safety. A guy to fill in for Jamal Adams in the future if you want to move on from him. Very talented, plays all over the place, plays with his hairs on fire. Certainly would appeal to Coach Carroll in the second round. Third round, how about Jamie Robinson out of Florida State? Talked about him on the last show, Mark. He can do all the things kind of that Sidney Brown can kind of do to just a slightly lesser degree, in my opinion, but still a very talented player. Fourth round, Jordan Houghton. They've already met him, met with him. He's a kid out of Minnesota. Uh, another very highly talented guy, six feet tall, good size, runs all out, can play all over the place. <coughs> He's a hyper-athletic safety who would fit into the cover two Vic Fangio shell scheme. So he would be a fit for this defense in addition to that. Um Pick, pick one of those players in any of those rounds, Mark. And I certainly think that that's where Coach Carroll could look to target, um, kind of picking his poison, so to speak. Picking his poison. Spencer says, bro, Sidney Brown's got that dog in him. I'm not overly worried about the Neil loss. A lot of high-end defensive backs that can be had late in this draft. Agreed. There's some places you can grab in a couple of different places. And uh, Sidney Brown's special to me, Spencer. He's certainly a, a guy that's in his own little category for me. He's in that Darnell Washington category for me in this draft. And he's a second-round guy where I have a first-round grade on Darnell Washington. But there's just something unique. There's just something that feels kind of special about Sidney Brown and the way that he goes about his business on the football field. I always will love players that play with a complete reckless abandon, that throw their body around on the football field, that aren't worried about their injuries or making business decisions. And that's this guy. Um, he is great, but you're right, Spencer. There's guys like Hickman at Ohio State. You could get a little bit later, still might end up turning into being a good starting safety in this league. There's some talent out there. They're not the most dynamic of athletes at the safety position. They're not the fastest of cats, but they're guys that are just good football players. D-Boy, what's up, man? Good to see you, D-Boy. You caught me at the end here, D-Boy. Caught me right at the end, man. Just wrapping up, bro. Hope you're doing well out there tonight. We're going to get a baseball stream going here soon, too. Promise you on that. Uh, Christopher says, my homegirl is from Canberra. Everything is bloke this and bloke that. She's a peach, though. Good human being. <laughs> That's endearing. It's an endearing word. Uh, Brian, trading uh, would be a late-round safety option. He would. That's a late-round guy, Brian. Physically, a really, really good physical skill to him. Good size, moves really well. He just needs to get some stuff cleaned up in his game that's technically kind of unrefined and, and raw and rough. Yeah. A little rough, rough around the edges. Megan says, the hawk's nest. Difference between Carter and Vegemite? I love Vegemite. <laughs> well... But it's also uh, in the eye of the beholder with the Vegemite too, much like Carter Megan. So it's in the uh, in the hand of the knife holder, the butter knife holder, I guess. I'll say it on that. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get this kind of wrapped on up, folks. Uh, Christopher said, "Who said it? Who said it the other night? Pete Carroll is the master of deception, so we blow everyone out of the water and draft a long snapper at five. You know, it's coming in, man. Cloak and dagger, cloak." and dagger Christopher says good answer thanks man Christopher appreciate you 
All right. Well, let's button this up again. I'm going to be on a uh, tomorrow night, seven o'clock. We're going to have Brendan back on the channel from Seahawks, Brendan Nelson. We're going to be looking and doing a deep dive into the linebackers and edge in this draft, going kind of end to end on those guys a bit. So we're going to be doing that big, deep, deep, deep drive. So uh, if you're not already, do me this favor. If you haven't already, please do hit that like button. Just a little thing, a big thing that it's big in my heart. It's big in my heart. Uh, but it does help out this channel greatly by you hitting that like button, getting subscribed up. Also helps this channel tremendously. We're growing greatly this offseason, but we can keep this thing going. It'd be great to get through the end of this year, around 13, 14, 15,000 subscribers. If we can even get there by the end of the year, we're on a good run right now. But if you're not already subbed up, please get subbed up. Please hit that like button. I would really appreciate it uh, to a huge degree on that side of it. Uh, Jackie Treehorn, if league cap wasn't involved, would KJ be an option? I don't think so at this point, Jackie. Um, I think that he's probably just a little bit too old, you know, and, and that the steps that you lose and just get a little too slow to be able to be out there and move around. Um, if something horrific happened at the position and we weren't able to have depth and we had too many injuries, I mean, would they call on him maybe in a pinch? Maybe. But I have a feeling that he's probably pretty well retired. I don't think he's probably hitting the weights or training like he once used to. And so he's probably got the normal person body going on right now at this point, which would, which probably be, he probably wouldn't be an option really at this point anyway, for shape or form. Yeah, what is that Jack, Jackie Treehorn? That sounds familiar. Mark says, the butter knife? You mean where the clock is? Just kidding, Megan. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, well, what a great, another great show here tonight, folks. Thank you for all the folks jumping in here and had some great chat and great discussion regarding not only these running backs in this draft, but this draft in general. I love turning this over in every different direction with you folks and trying to figure out how this thing's going to play out and the manner with which it's going to play out and, and just trying to make sense of all this. It, it's just fun where I think we're getting closer and closer to kind of the truth of it and understanding which way this thing's going to go as we find ourselves roughly about three weeks out from the beginning of this draft, the most monumental draft potentially, and Seahawks Drift Street. Dare I say, maybe the draft that helps to force this forward, to push this forward, rocket fuel this forward into a dynasty again, to get into that realm of things again, to make that kind of team together. I know I'm looking far out here, but that's the potential of what you could build with this kind of draft coming on the heels of last year's draft. You hit two of them out of the park back to back in that fashion and make no mistake about it. The sky is the limit. So get excited, my fellow Seahawks fans. Get hyped. Get ready. Lock yourselves in because your Seahawks are about to kill this draft again in the best of ways. They're about to be the number one team in this draft walking out of it. They're going to say, who had the best draft? Who had the A-plus draft? Who had the draft that's going to set their organization afire for the next five years? And you know what they're all going to say unanimously? You know what they're going to say from coast to coast, pundit to pundit, talking head to talking head? They're going to say A-plus Seattle Seahawks. That's what they're going to get to say. So lock yourselves in, folks. It's about to happen. Get yourself ready to be very happy at all this wonderful haul that we're about to pull in from this draft. I thank you to all the folks out there that donated the chat. You guys were amazing as ever here on the channel. So many donations. I really appreciate all you guys and your support of the channel. Amazing as ever. We'll be back in a mere less than 24 hours. I will be back here at 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time to talk these linebackers and edges. But before I get back then, I hope I don't have to remind you guys. I hope you're not going to forget. I hope you don't get wayward and, man, the draft seems so far off. How good is my team going to do it? None of that. Do not let doubt bog you down. Do not let doubt cloud your mind. Think clearly, 
Think beautifully, think wonderfully, and think to that far stretched out point of us being an elite team, of us on our rise, of us being great. So even though you might forget over this 24 hours, I'm here to remind you and let you know, don't you ever, ever forget, especially as we're about to both kick this draft's ass, don't you ever forget. Go Hawks!